Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Immigration. Big topic, man. Polarizing topic. Pain in the ass topic to research. Wrap one's mind around. Very important topic to discuss. Very emotional and personal topic for many to listen to. Proud of this one. Worked hard on it. Hope it shows. Can the United States open her arms and just let anyone and everyone pour inside its borders and chase the American dream? Sure, I mean, I guess it could. But at what cost? How much difficulty would doing so add to those already here and chasing the dream of property ownership, access to health care and higher education, the possibility of a comfortable retirement? Based on 2016 U.S. Census Bureau estimates, over 43 million U.S. residents were living in poverty. 18.5 million Americans were already living in deep poverty, defined as having a household income below 50% of the poverty threshold. In the continental United States, the poverty threshold for a family of four was a household income of $24,300. So deep poverty would be almost 20 million Americans living in a household where less than 12K a year is made. That's the equivalent of someone working full-time all year but only getting paid $5 an hour. Brutal. Los Angeles County had officially over 55,000 people classified as homeless in 2017. 55,000 homeless people in just one American county. And after living there for over six years, I believe it. If anything, it sounds low. Financial stability is very, very fragile for many Americans. Federal Reserve data reveals that the median value for the amount of money the average American has in savings is $5,200. Median here denoting there are an equal number of people who have less than this amount as there are people who have more. The median amount of savings for someone under the age of 35, $1,580. Can we afford to let more people in? Some financial experts think things uh, will be worse if we don't. How many industries are somewhat dependent on immigration or, frankly, illegal immigration? How many farms and orchards would go bankrupt without seasonal migrant labor, some of which is illegal? How many restaurants 
could go bankrupt without foreign illegal workers? How many construction companies? Seriously, what would be the economic ripple effect of deporting every single illegal immigrant? There are a lot of non-emotional economic factors to consider. There are moral implications. The U.S. was built on immigration. Lady Liberty calling the world. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. This excerpt from Emma Lazarus's poem, New Colossus, has become synonymous with the Statue of Liberty and with immigration. Who are we if we begin to deny the chance of freedom for the oppressed? Who are we if we turn away immigrants knowing that doing so seals, in some cases, their death sentences? There are crime considerations, safety considerations. Would opening the borders lead to higher violent crime rates in some states? Extremely violent and well-organized gangs are a real problem in Mexico and many other Latin American nations. Domestic terrorist attacks would almost certainly go up if no one was checking immigration from nations like Syria. Also, I do realize very few people and no one on the national political stage are actually calling for the complete end to immigration or an end to scrutinizing exactly who gets in. There is the argument that the immigration debate is a misnomer. This national argument for for most isn't about immigration. It's about illegal immigration. However, illegal immigration also built into America's foundation. It's always existed. Our economy has always partially depended on it. Immigration, illegal immigration, how to handle it. Such a complex, ever-changing issue. And the first step at assessing how to handle an issue, especially a complex and polarizing one such as this, is to learn as much about it as you can. I can tell you this. I know for certain that opening the borders to everyone or slamming the door firmly shut on everyone is not the answer. Extremism, rarely the answer. The solution usually lies somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the gray, in between the black and the white. So let's learn all we can in roughly two hours about America's lengthy immigration history and its current challenges. And we're going to actually have some fun along the way. We're going to get weird here and there and not let the seriousness of all this drag us down too far. So come on, meat sack. Saddle up. Dive down the rabbit hole with me today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. Hail Nimrod. Hail Lucifina. Praise Bojangles and Triple M. I'm Dan Cummins, a.k.a. Lucifina's Man Mistress. You are listening to Time Suck, dear member of the Cult of the Curious. Stay tuned until the end of this one. Uh, have a special edition of Time Sucker Updates today, where a variety of Time Suckers were, were able to share some very cool, personal, and varied perspectives regarding today's topic, making us think. Uh, recording in the Idaho Suck Dungeon, so much smoke outside. So many forest fires. Air quality index somewhere in the area of the, uh, of the manufacturing district of a Chinese industrial city. Good air quality index value anywhere from 0 to 50, 101 to 150. Unhealthy for people with lung disease or asthma and for seniors and young kids. 201 to 300, very unhealthy. Uh, we hit 380 the other day. Actually, Joe told me uh, over the course, uh, right like uh, in the middle of the night, it was close to 400 the other day. <laughs> Uh, it knocked Lindsay out for, few, for a few hours, actually. She took this uh, crazy long nap. Just the smoke got to her. I kind of like it. Actually, it hasn't bothered me that bad. I mean, I mean, every day you get plain air. You know, you get your fucking generic clean air. But, you know, for us, it's like recently nature was like, hey, how about you try some new hickory smoked barbecue air? Huh? I like, I like smoked meat. What do, you think, what do you think about smoked air? Um, I'm looking forward to the ecological uh, disaster that is going to make some Cool Ranch air. I want some fucking nacho cheese air. Uh, yeah, but it does make, uh, life a little bit interesting. Walking to the store, uh, feels like, uh, walking in, into mortar. 
Feels like it's a it's like it's weird fucking hazy surrealness. Feels like it's a Stephen King, the, the mist. But you know what? The suck continues. Who cares if my eyes are a little more red than normal? Feeling good otherwise. Feels like I started smoking again, but didn't have to actually uh, purchase cigarettes this time. Uh, Reverend Dr. Joe motherfucking Paisley. Smoke ain't phasing him too much. He's running sound. Lindsay, she's, she's alive. Kyler Monroe, back from sleepaway camp. Penny and Gigi, kind of being good girls. Uh, recording this in advance of the Denver show, so uh, I'm not sure how they went. Hopefully the, the suck on Sunday kicked ass. Uh, Chicago was great, though. Uh, seven shows at Zany's, and they were all fun, man. Even the third show on Saturday. Still don't, still don't want to do that again, uh, ever, but it was fun. I was given so many cool gifts in Chicago. You guys are you spoil me. Delicious treats, a stuffed Bojangles toy. You can see a little picture of it on at Dan Cummins Comedy on Instagram. Uh, the debut pressing of the debut album from Sunny Falls. Some time suckers who are also kick-ass musicians. Their album, Some Kind of Spectre, came out. The boys in the band gave me an autographed album. It's fucking great indie rock, man. Super Records did a great job with that vinyl. Fuck yeah. Uh, no shows this week. Just focusing on the fam and on the suck. Uh, recharged and back at it in the Bay Area next week. Sunnyvale, California. Been to Rooster Teeth Feathers many times. A great intimate room for comedy. September 6th to the 9th. Hitting Hollywood next. One of my favorite rooms in the country. The Melrose Improv. A historic club, man. Uh, one night only, September 12th. I-, I have so much fun in that room. Uh, just north of LA in Oxnard, September 13th to 15th. Uh, Lindsay going to be with me in the California shows. Well, she'll be with me in Oxnard and Melrose, not in uh, Rooster Teeth. Hoping to see some familiar faces, some new ones too. Uh, maybe on the problem, man. My, my my most recent album dropping on on vinyl. Maybe dropped. I guess it's technically dropped. It's not out for everybody, but it is out. I'm very excited, man. The record looks so good. So excited to be on vinyl. I, uh, I joke about hipsters, but in so many ways, I am one. I am a I am a vinyl lover. My first ever vinyl pressings, Romanus Records. They did it. They did a great job. Comes out in just a, uh, a few limited edition possibilities on September 15th, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Looks so good. So excited to have that out. And actually, uh, Space Lizards are able to order the record right now. Another Space Lizard perk. Early and exclusive access. Knowledge and Nimrod, Space Lizards. Um, yeah, and you can see that on uh, Instagram, too, at Dan Cummins Comedy. But yeah, the Space Lizards get a special uh, pre-order link where they can, they can lock it up today. And Laborddale. Uh, Laborddale. Laborddale. Yeah, that's a fucking word. Uh, Laborddale sale. You guys heard of Laborddale? It's a place that exists in my head only. Labor, the Labor Day sale hits today. It's a big one. From now until September 3rd at noon Pacific time, get 25% off and a free air freshener with every purchase. So you can not only feel the suck, you can fucking smell it. Oh, hey, surprise, everyone. Reverend Dr. Joe motherfucking Paisley popping into this episode. Uh, when Dan recorded this, he didn't know about the Labor Day sale promo code. Such an idiot. I'll make sure you get that so that you can uh, take advantage of the deals. It's Labor Day 18. All one word, all lowercase. I know you can't do lowercase numbers, but you get it. Labor Day 18. That's your promo code. Now, back to you, Mr. Suckmaster Suck. Uh, it'll be the last chance to grab a few items like the original Danger Brain, Cult of the Curious shirt with my face, last chance for the green lizard pullover hoodie. Just got a few of those left. Last chance for the summer tank tops. Making way in, in the store for some really cool shit coming this fall. So, uh, so proud of the merch we're putting out now, man. I'm biased, but I think we're, we're creating some of the best shit in the whole podcast game. So thanks for wearing that stuff for the show. Thanks for supporting the show by getting it. So proud, man. Thanks for wearing it out in the world and helping to spread the suck. So yeah, so be sure. I mean, you're, you're not going to get a, a better deal on our stuff. 25% off. Uh, of of everything in the store. Let's fucking get it. And now, 
Let's dig into a suck where I learned so much. I knew almost nothing about America's immigration past uh, before the, this, this past few weeks. I mean, you know, the basics. I knew that we're a nation founded by immigrants, but I didn't really know the details. I know so much now. It feels good. Feels like my brain's a little bigger. Feels like it's been doing some uh, some workouts, you know, beefed up. It's fucking, uh, what's that old documentary? Pumping Iron, Schwarzenegger. It's been, it's been pumping something. Uh, so let's go over, uh, you know, everything I dug up. Suck the shit out of the history and the current confusion surrounding immigration in America. Oh, as we judge history, history will judge us. That phrase just popped into my meat sack melon as I bounced through a preposterous amount of articles and government websites researching today's show. Yeah, if you look at the uh, the show notes <laughs> ever uh, on uh, on the app, this is the biggest amount of show notes by far. I mean, there is like, I, I feel like three pages of single-spaced links. I think I, I went through about, I don't know, 80 to uh, 120 different uh, sites <laughs> that I actually like used information from. Um, yeah, I, but I think that, uh, you know, as we judge history, history will judge us is, is important to keep in mind as we go through today's suck. One of the most interesting sucks I've sucked on for sure. How will history judge us for how we're handling our current immigration crisis? Well, uh, before we assess the current situation, let's get some context like we often do. Let's dig way back to the start with today's Time Suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck timeline. Let's truly start at the beginning, way before Columbus, 30,000 BCE. If you'll recall from the timeline we did in the Aztec suck, that is when the first humans are thought to have crossed that frozen land bridge connecting present-day Siberia to present-day Alaska via the Bering Strait. We, we don't know a lot about these uh, early Americans, these, these first Americans, other than that their lives were very likely utterly terrible and devoid of much joy. I mean, I mean, their lives were at least comparatively super-duper shitty compared to the lives of everyone listening to this podcast right now, like for sure. Uh, they had no concept of medical treatment. They lived in the cold, unforgiving wasteland of the uh, the Bering Strait area long before North Face jackets and thermal underwear uh, were invented. I mean, sure, sometimes they got to club the shit out of a seal and enjoy some tasty, tasty seal meat. And I'm sure that was pretty fun and delicious. But they also probably got eaten by bears a lot, which I'm guessing not fun at all. Uh, they probably also died of shit like a broken leg that turned into an infection or a bad ingrown toenail that could kill you back then. So many not fun things happening back then. Where, why did they live there? Why, why would you live in Alaska back when you could live uh, near present-day San Diego instead? Well, probably because they couldn't read or write, and they didn't have maps or the ability to communicate over any kind of distance. And I, I'm guessing they didn't know uh, that any other place in the world wasn't as terrible as Siberia <laughs> northern Alaska. Showing them a photo of a sunny beach and palm trees would be like showing them a photo of uh, the surface of Mars. They wouldn't even know how to mentally process it. And then they'd probably kill you for being an obvious witch with your witch photo, using your black magic to create a thin window into another world. Uh, over the next fifteen to 20,000 years, these ancient people, these descendants of American Indians, wandered into various portions of the present-day continental United States. Finally, a little bit of decent weather, a little bit less polar bears. Uh, no polar bears. And, and where do these uh, uh, ancient Siberians come from? Well, most anthropologists and archaeologists still think that all humans come from Africa, if you head back far enough, evolving from other human-ish mammal species uh, roughly 260,000 years ago. We're all Africans, meat sacks. Don't you fucking forget it. It's one of the many reasons racism just doesn't make any sense. Uh, we all sprang forth from the same cradle of civilization, you know, 
Uh, had, had, had the same, you know, grandpappies and nanas. Some of us just lost a little more pigment over the years than others. A- anyway, around 13,000 years ago, the ice bridge connecting Siberia and North America closed, an ice bridge that may have uh, actually also been a land bridge due to lower sea levels at the time. The ice melted, the sea level rose. No one else came over to mix up the American gene pool for thousands of years. For centuries, various cultures and kingdoms rose and fell back in Asia, Africa, and Europe. And finally, one of those uh, European cultures made contact with North America, and I'm not talking about Columbus. Virtually all scholars now accept that long before Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, several groups of Vikings made it to North America first. Leif Erikson, son of Eric the Red, founder of the first European settlement on what is now called Greenland, was one of those Vikings. Around 1000 CE, Erikson sailed to Norway, where King Olaf I— Olaf, man, you, it's hard to find a, a more Scandinavian name than that. Olaf, would you like—Olaf, would you like some lingonberries? Yes, yes, I would, Helga. I would like lingonberries. And some smoked salmon, perhaps? Of course, Olaf. Um, Olaf the first converted him to Christianity. Uh, man, I, I, I'm missing my great-grandparents right now, my, my Swedish-Norwegian great-grandparents. I, I loved it as a kid when they would talk in their— Fucking sing songy language around the house. Bing ba dum Team ba dum God, it was so great as a kid. I wish I would have learned it. Dum ba dum ta tu ta. Lincoln Berry tun ti tu. Anyway, Eric. I know we have a lot of Swedish time suckers randomly. I hope that was fun and not just incredibly patronizing. Tang ta tung ti tung. Tang ta tung ti ting. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm able to do that because of family. I feel like I have a legitimacy to be able to do that. Okay. King Olaf first converted him to Christianity. Then according to uh, an increasingly popular school of thought, Erikson sailed off course on his way back to Greenland, landed on the North American continent where he explored a region called Vinland. The, the Vikings called it Vinland or Wineland because it was full of grapes, something they just didn't have back in Greenland. They didn't have much back in Greenland. Greenland is definitely a misnomer. Uh, Greenland, not, not that green, not that green, mostly ice and rock. Uh, Leif may have uh, also sought out Vinland based on stories of an earlier voyage, voyage by another Icelandic trader. After spending the winter in Vinland, uh, Leif apparently wasn't overly impressed. Sailed back to Greenland, never returned to North American shores. And, and there's obviously a lot more to that story. Uh, other Vikings, you know, uh, later made it to present-day Newfoundland based on archaeological evidence. But the, the tangent is too complex to dive in down today. Uh, we'll save that for a proper Viking suck someday. Doesn't seem that these early Vikings really mixed much with the American Indians they may have met. Didn't seem to have spread too much into the or any at all DNA into the gene pool. Their brief North American presence definitely didn't lead to the formation of the United States that we're talking about today. Uh, the date that would lead directly to the mass migration of Europeans into the Americas, the date that would lead to the first big wave of American immigrants that would eventually lead to the formation of the United States was, of course, October 12th, 1492. On this date, the Italian explorer Christopher Columbus, sailing on behalf of the Spanish crown, reaches land in the Bahamas. Later that month, he'd cite Cuba, thinking it was China. In December, he'd see Hispaniola, thinking it might be Japan. He'd establish a small colony with 39 men and then return to Spain with gold, spices, and captives in 1493. In 1497, another Italian, uh, Giovanni Caboto, a.k.a. John Cabot, sailing on behalf of the English crown, would touch down somewhere in eastern Canada on June, June 24th, beginning to search for the fabled Northwest Passage to Asia. In 1513, Spanish explorer and conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon arrives in present-day Florida. He's the dude who actually named the area La Florida. In 1514, the king of Spain authorizes Ponce de Leon to settle Florida and claim it for Spain. He returns and attempts to do just that in 1521. But the indigenous uh, Calusa people, they're not into it. They're like, uh, um, 
How about instead of giving this land to Spain, whatever the hell that is, how about fuck that and fuck you assholes? And these American Indians beat him and his troops back the hell off of the continent. Despite this initial ass whooping, uh, several other Spanish explorers soon follow, such as Hernando de Soto. And they don't get their asses beat, and they push into present-day northern Florida and elsewhere in the southeastern United States. As we learn in that Aztec suck, other explorers also entering present-day Mexico at this time. Uh, in 1519, Hernan Cortez first encounters the Aztecs, defeating them by 1521, paving the way for future Spaniards to push up into present-day Texas. Get up into that, Texas. Get up into that, New Mexico. Get up into that, Arizona, California, and more. Uh, conquistadors, man. Spanish for conqueror. They took that title seriously. They conquered the shit out of America for a long, long time. Uh, A couple historical events, you know, would have gone the other way. We'd always speak in Spanish as a first language uh, today here in the States. Uh, 1526, Spanish explorer Lucas Vasquez de Ayon established San Miguel de Guadalupe, the first European settlement in what would become the continental United States, somewhere along the coast of Georgia. Never heard of this before. This sucks research. This is way before the Pilgrims. The exact location of the settlement, unfortunately, has been lost to history because it didn't last very long. About two-thirds of the original 600 settlers died of disease and starvation the first winter, including uh, Ayon himself, and the remaining third, not possessing supplies or the means to defend themselves from angry local tribes, sailed back to Hispaniola in the spring of 1547. So, uh, ill-fated settlement. Uh, 1540, another Spanish conquistador, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado, became the first European to see the Grand Canyon and the Colorado River. He and his crew pushed all the way uh, into present-day Oklahoma and Kansas. Fucking Spaniards in Kansas? Back in 1540? Who knew? I didn't. I didn't remember that. Uh, on June 22nd, 1564, the French established a colony for the Huguenots, or French Calvinists, uh, called Fort Caroline on the St. John's River near present-day Jacksonville, Florida. Early religious pilgrims wanting to live life on their own. Probably very morally strict. Uh, probably everyone is required to wear silly, weird hats to please an angry god. Uh, not fun at all <laughs> terms. Ah, oh, man, I would have never lasted in one of those settlements. Uh, this was the first settlement of men and women seeking religious freedom in the New World. Settlement also served another purpose. It was a new territorial claim for the French crown. But again, didn't last long. Spaniards sacked the fort, claimed it for themselves the following year in September of 1565. Fucking Spaniards always sacking shit. Sacking the Aztecs. Sacking the Huguenots. So much Spanish sack. God, there was a lot of sack back then. They loved it. Uh, the Spaniards slaughtered the, the several hundred religious pilgrims living there. That irritated France. France didn't care for that. So in 1568, a French force slaughtered the Spanish that had taken over the fort and then sailed away. Sailing, take me away, away from all this sacking stuff. Uh, the Spaniards... They came back and rebuilt the fort after the slaughter, but then abandoned it the following year. Almost 100 years after Columbus and Cabot, the British established their first colony in the present-day United States. Colony of Roanoke, another future suck topic. Founded in 1585 off the coast of North Carolina on Roanoke Island, lack of supplies and bad relations with local American Indians causes uh, some members of the new colony to return to England for supplies in 1587. And when they returned in 1590, the colony of uh, a little over 100 people had totally vanished. No bodies ever discovered. Historians still trying to figure out what happened to them. One interesting theory is that they fell prey to a particularly bad outbreak of an especially aggressive and poisonous variety of brown recluse spiders. Those things have always creeped me out. Native to that island. 
The Roanoke recluse has since gone extinct due to ecosystem changes that started when non-native snakes made their way into the island in the early 1700s. But these spiders witnessed by the colonists who, who returned to England were roughly twice as big as a normal brown recluse, uh, as big as the palm of your hand. And unfortunately for the colonists who couldn't have known this, far more venomous, venomous, ah, venomous. <laughs> the bite was uh, almost always lethal. And, and it's thought that hundreds uh, of thousands of these spiders may have hatched in either 1588 or 1589 and that the colonists, driven mad by a fever brought on by the spider's venom, then drowned in the ocean surrounding the island, deliriously trying to outswim the large swarms of highly aggressive spiders. Uh, the Roanoke recluse was known to, to go for the eyes, ears, and mouth because a bite in that area would send the poison straight into your brain. And when one spider bit you, it would release a chemical compound that would attract other spiders. And so the spiders would then swarm on you, and you'd end up covered in hundreds, if not thousands of these things, crawling into your mouth, uh, crawling all over your eyes as you screamed your dying breaths, just uh, just all over your face. They would just, uh, sometimes one spider would hold open your eyelid and allow other spiders to crawl into your eyeballs. And <laughs> And of course that is nonsense. How would we fucking know that? How would we know about some mystery spider that died a long time ago on an island that no one successfully lived on before they went extinct? I only said that because because <laughs> I'm a sick son of a bitch, and I know that a lot of people are very, very creeped out by spiders. And I wanted you to imagine those early colonists living your worst nightmare, trapped on a terrifying spider island. Do you, do you feel it right now? Do you, I mean, some of you have to. Do you feel them crawling on your skin? I mean, think about this. Just because I was kidding about an island of spiders doesn't mean that there isn't one spider or several spiders on you right now. You don't know. Okay, back to, back to real stuff. By 1600, Spain and Portugal are still the only significant colonial powers in the New World. A settlement in St. Augustine, Florida, established in 1565, the only permanent settlement in what is now the continental U.S. St. Augustine, by the way, uh, the oldest continuously occupied European established settlement within the borders of the continental U.S. In 1604, the French briefly settled in present-day Maine on St. Croix Island before relocating to Port Royal, Nova Scotia. Uh, I guess probably Port Royal. Uh, I was probably throwing a little, little, little panache, little fanciness unnecessarily on that word. Uh, in 1607, the Spaniards established a permanent settlement in present-day Santa Fe, New Mexico, and there have been people of European descent living in Santa Fe ever since. Also in 1607, the first enduring English settlement was established in the present-day U.S., Jamestown, on the coast of present-day Virginia, just two and a half miles southwest of the center of present-day Williamsburg. 104 men and boys built a fort there. It would be the capital of Virginia from 1616 until 1699. Women soon followed. In 1609, almost everyone died of either starvation or disease. Too afraid to leave the fort due to poor relations with nearby tribes, but the fort endured. That sucks. Uh, more settlers uh, soon followed over the coming years, like the Pilgrims. The Pilgrims set their anchor near that famous boulder, Plymouth Rock. Provincetown Harbor, outside of current-day Massachusetts on November 11, 1620. The Mayflower left England with 102 passengers and a crew of 25 to 30 men. These pilgrims were fleeing religious persecution in England, only to ironically carry out more religious persecution themselves a short time later, if you'll recall that from the Salem Witch Trial sec. Uh, the Dutch, well, I mean, the descendants of the pilgrims did that. The Dutch established the colony of New Netherland in 1624. It would encompass all of present-day New York City, parts of Long Island, Connecticut, or parts of Long Island, pause, Connecticut, and New Jersey. By 1626, the uh, the settlement of New Amsterdam would be established on the southern tip of Manhattan Island, where colonists purchased the land from the local Algonquin tribe. In 1633, the Dutch established Fort Good Hope, which would become present-day Hartford, Connecticut. 1638, the realm of Sweden 
also began to colonize present-day United States. Making some poems. The established Swedesboro in present-day Swedesboro in Sweden is pronounced. That's how you. I probably didn't have enough sleep last night. I'm feeling a little loopy in a fun way. In pre- uh, but they established Swedesboro in present-day New Jersey in 1638. All of Sweden's North American territory would fall into the hands of the Dutch during the Second Northern War less than two decades later. By 1702, 10 of the original 13 colonies that would later become states had been formally chartered and established by Britain. Georgia became the 13th colony in 1752. New Orleans, as we learned a few weeks ago, in the drunken mess uh, that was fun, known as the Axeman Suck, was founded by the French, uh, yeah, 1718. Uh, on July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence is signed with the leaders of the American colonies declaring independence from England and then high-fiving the shit out of each other. A lot of risk broken that day in the Independence Hall in Philadelphia. We did it, bros. Oh, bros, we did it. United States is born. Uh, the Treaty of Paris, signed on September 3rd, 1783, marked the end of the American Revolutionary War. Britain now recognizing uh, America's independence and territorial claims that extended to the Mississippi River in the West and present-day uh, Canadian border in the north. The United States just now uh, internationally recognizes being alive. They're alive. It lives. Just 20 years later in 1803, the brand spanking new, shiny new car smelling United States would virtually double in size with the Louisiana Purchase. That purchase contained land that now forms Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Hawaii. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, parts of Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Puerto Rico. Nope. Texas, New Mexico, Wyoming, Montana, and of course, Louisiana. And in the first decades of the United States history, everyone who wanted to come live in the United States could do so. Kind of. Uh, asterisks. Everyone who was white could, could do so. Late 18th century United States, very, very good time uh, and place to be a white dude. A lot of advantages. Not a good time in North America historically to be anything other than a white dude. A straight white dude. A straight Christian white dude. Great time to be a straight Christian white dude. Um, Naturalization Act passed in 1790 stipulated that any alien being a free white person may be admitted to become a citizen of the United States. Calling all white people, calling all white people, get your new country, get your new country. Uh, This law limited naturalization to immigrants who were uh, free white persons of good character in order to address one's good character. The law required two years of residence in the United States, one year uh, in the state of residence prior to applying for citizenship. When those requirements were met, an immigrant could file a petition for naturalization with any common law court of record having jurisdiction over his residence. Once uh, convinced of the applicant's good moral character, do do you believe in Christ our Savior? Are you white? Yes. Mm, Citizen. Um, uh, The court would administer an oath of allegiance to support the Constitution of the United States. The clerk of the court uh, was to make a record of these proceedings, and thereupon such person shall be considered as a citizen of the United States. The law excluded American Indians, indentured servants, slaves, free blacks, and later it would be interpreted to block citizenship uh, status for anybody of Asian descent. Man, for a time, uh, free blacks were allowed citizenship at the state level in certain states, and then that was revoked. How fucked up is the exclusion of American Indians? (laughs) Jesus Christ. They just had their land taken from them, uh, and then the nation that just took their land won't even let them join the new nation in any kind of legal, equal way. Man, just insult upon insult. Just constant salt being poured into a a, a never-healing wound. Uh, In the early years of the Republic, white immigration was light and a non-issue. 6,000 people a year on average. There wasn't a lot of people back then, including French refugees from the revolt in Haiti, uh, coming into a new country that needed new bodies, you know, to to settle this land, Uh, some new new white bodies. Not trying to go white guilt social justice warrior here, by the way, either. 
Some people get so sensitive to that. They get triggered by that kind of talk. But you know what? Fucking history is what it is. <laughs> the truth is what it is. Uh, by 1806, the flow of immigration was reduced to a trickle as hostilities between England and Napoleon's friends disrupted Atlantic shipping lanes. The War of 1812 between the United States and Britain slowed immigration even further. And with peace reestablished in 1814, immigration from Great Britain, Ireland, and Western Europe resumed and kicked into high gear. Uh, the major port cities of this era, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Charleston, overwhelmed with newcomers. Many of them are sick or dying from the long journey across the Atlantic. Man, think about the journey those early immigrants made. To, to make it from England to America in, in the early 19th century, it generally took uh, anywhere from six weeks to two months. Ah, I get bad motion sickness on boats, man. I think I, think I would have just stayed in Europe, just took my chances there. Uh, yeah, the journey was terrible. Uh, Gottlieb Mittelberger, a German schoolmaster and possessor of the most Germany-sounding German name ever, traveled uh, from Europe to Philadelphia in the mid-1700s. Gottlieb Mittelberger. Gottlieb Mittelberger. Gottlieb Mittelberger. Your sausage awaits you, Mr. Mittelberger Gottlieb. Um, his diary left a few uh, vivid eyewitness accounts uh, of the atrocious conditions of this journey. Check this out. This is his. This is Gottlieb Mittelbergers. This is his words. I don't know why I'm still doing the Swedish. I can't seem to transition from a Swedish to a German accent there. During the voyage, there is on board these ships terrible misery, stench, fumes, horror, vomiting, many kinds of seasickness, fever, dysentery, headache. Heat, constipation, this is all his words, boils, scurvy, cancer, mouth rot, and the like, all of which come from the old and sharply salted food, ooh, sharply salted, and meat, also from bad and foul water, so that many die miserably. Imagine if that was part of the travel brochure. Looking for a new adventure? Travel to America on Sailboat Willie's transatlantic schooner, The Living Hell on the Sea. Passengers aboard the living hell on the sea have a 50-50 chance of making it to their destination alive and a 100% chance of being severely psychologically scarred for the rest of their statistically short and miserable lives after witnessing unimaginable and daily horrors for months. And old Gottlieb was just getting started, man. He continues with, add to this want of provisions, hunger, thirst, (laughs) frost, heat, dampness, anxiety, want, afflictions, and lamentations, together with other trouble, as, for example, the lice abound so frightfully, especially on sick people, that they can be scraped off the body. The misery reaches a climax when a gale rages for two or three days and nights so that everyone believes that the ship will go to the bottom with all human beings on board. In such a visitation, the people cry and pray most piteously. Fuck! And brochure again, next page is brochure. Do you like hundreds of thousands of lice? Do you enjoy the sounds of constant wails of despair and death rattles? Well, hop on board the living hell on the sea. Guaranteed to make you strongly reconsider leaving Europe, no matter how terrible your life already is. Now, back to Gottlieb one last time. He says, uh, no one can have an idea of the sufferings which women in confinement have to bear with their innocent children on board these ships. Few of this class escape with their lives. Many (laughs) Many a mother is cast into the water with her child as soon as she is dead. (laughs) Jesus. One day, just as we had a heavy gale, a woman in our ship who was to give birth and could not give birth under the circumstances was pushed through a loophole, a portal, into the sea, uh, no, no, in the sea, and dropped into the sea because she was far in the rear of the ship and could not be brought forward. Fucking holy shit! Just pushing pregnant women and they're un, unable to be born babies just uh, down a porthole into Davy Jones' locker. For sure, this boat would have gotten a one-star review had Yelp existed. 
Did not appreciate constant death and despair. Disappointed to lose several family members on journey. Meat, way too salty, sharply salted. Fruit, non-existent. Frustrated with amount of lice. Would not recommend one star. Uh, at least I didn't have to deal with those damn Roanoke spiders. Gah! Spiders crawling in your eyeballs. How many of you are still occasionally thinking about that? How many of you were able to stop thinking about the spiders and then now are very angry to be again thinking about the many, many spiders that would like lift? Remember how they would lift up your eyelid and let another spider crawl under your, under your eyeball? Ugh! God, that's terrible. Anyway, Congress responded to these terrible travel conditions with the Steerage Act of 1819, requiring ship captains to keep detailed passenger records and provide more humane conditions for those on board. Between 1820 and 1880, immigration exploded with hundreds of thousands of immigrants finding work via the Industrial Revolution on the East Coast, the construction of the Transcontinental Railroad, and the California Gold Rush. Immigrants from both Asia and Europe poured into the country. In that 60-year period, roughly 3 million people emigrated from the German Empire, roughly 2.8 million came over from Ireland, another 2 million came from Britain, a million from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, 750,000 from Canada, 230,000 from China, and another 50,000 from Africa as the slave trade wound down. The Asian immigrants were allowed to come into the country and work, but not allowed to become citizens. While there were some anti-immigration voices during this period overall, uh, generally uh, voiced during brief economic downturns, in general, America was actually very pro-immigration until the 1880s. Uh, the Republican platform of 1864 actually stated foreign immigration, which is uh, in the past has added so much to the wealth, resources, and increased power to the nation should be fostered and encouraged. And there were some voices of dissent. There was, uh, you know, like some uh, uh, during the potato famine, and I listened some, some very like anti-Irish kind of political voices, but but no, nothing that made its way to legislation. After certain states passed uh, immigration laws following the devastation of the Civil War, the Supreme Court in 1875 uh, declared regulation of immigration a federal responsibility. By the 1880s, steam power had shortened the journey to America dramatically. Immigrants poured in from around the world, from the Middle East, the Mediterranean, Southern and Eastern Europe, down from Canada. Uh, in the 1880s alone, 9% 9 of the total population of Norway immigrated to America. That is nuts. Can you imagine if in one decade— one out of every 10 people in your school or or neighborhood or town just bounced to other country. Can you imagine just being on those boats? Everything we've already talked about, plus just the just a cacophony of this. Twenty, 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 twenty. Do you want some smoked herring and some lingonberry? <laughs> I got to think of more references besides lingonberry and fish. Smoked salmon and herring. Ting, 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 ting. Okay, I'm done now. The Naturalization Act of 1870, uh, now that we've lost all of our Scandinavian listeners. The Naturalization Act of 1870 intended to provide citizenship to recently freed slaves also added to anti-Asian immigration policies. It limited naturalization to uh, aliens of African nativity and to persons of African descent, uh, whites thus excluding all Asians from receiving citizenship. The anti-Asian vibe will, in will, will intensify greatly over the next few decades. The Page Act is passed in 1875, the first restrictive federal immigration law. The law prohibited the entry of immigrants considered, quote, undesirable. And here we go. Here we begin to get into the history that leads to uh, uh, modern immigration concerns. Legal discrimination towards uh, certain immigrants truly begins. Uh, racial discriminatory laws regarding citizenship already existed, but this is the first time the U.S. starts to legislate uh, against certain groups being allowed to even enter the U.S. Prior to 1875, obviously a lot of racism. Slavery had been abolished only the decade before. There was for sure racism towards uh, different immigrant groups coming into the country. But prior to 1875, the government wasn't stepping in to actually legally ban entry to certain races of people. Uh, the new law classified as undesirable 
any individual from Asia. <laughs> Fuck. How messed up is that? Just late throwing undesirable on anybody from Asia. Um, anybody from Asia coming to, to be a forced laborer or any Asian woman who might engage in prostitution. Anyone considered to be a convict in their own country? Speaking of prostitution, time suck, resident pimpology expert, Chicken Joe just walked in and would like to share his thoughts on this legal discrimination. My ball, playboy, my ball. Tahoe don't care about what she that skinny. You feel this? My ball. Let a lady come to play. If she dig a husband, she dig a wife, she dig a team, she live that life. Everybody not needs, no matter what, like ribs or rice. Play nice, playboy. Play nice, my ball. Uh, that was Chicken Joe speak for race shouldn't matter when it comes to marriage or prostitution. Love and, and sexual needs aren't exclusive to any ethnicity. Uh, thank you very much, Chicken Joe. And that was a callback to uh, a character who showed up last week for anyone uh, thoroughly confused right now. Uh, th- this woman who might engage in prostitution language, um, uh, you know, it was a not so subtle way of preventing recently immigrated Chinese men from bringing over their wives which also prevented them from bringing over their families, you know, because any woman theoretically might engage in prostitution. Uh, In 1882, the United States furthered its policy of racially-based immigration legislation when President Chester A. Arthur signed the Chinese Exclusion Act. It's pretty straightforward. Chinese Exclusion Act, fuck, in the law on May 6th. This act was initially intended to last for only 10 years, but it was renewed in 1892 with the Geary Act, signed into permanent law in 1902. The Chinese Exclusion Act was the first law implemented to prevent a specific ethnic group from immigrating to the United States. Passed after the immigration of uh, 123,000 Chinese in the 1870s who joined the 105,000 who had immigrated between 1850 and 1870. The reason this law passed, uh, you know, largely economic. During the, during the gold rush of 1848 to 1855 on the West Coast and the subsequent massive railroad projects that accompanied the gold rush across America, there was more than enough work to go around for everybody. But then, due to the combination of more and more workers arriving into California in the 1860s and 1870s, less and less gold being found, the railroads being built, animosity towards foreigners uh, increases, and the Chinese become an easy target. Because uh, there was also a lot of people pouring in the U.S. from you know places like Ireland, but those people at least uh, were, were familiar to other Americans, many of whom were had Irish ancestry or similar an- ancestry than, than the Chinese. Uh, there was the Immigration Act of 1891. While the Immigration uh, Act of 1882 regulated coastal borders, it did not regulate the contiguous borders. Uh, and immigrants crossing either the U.S.-Canadian or U.S.-Mexican border entered the nation largely without inspection. Reports estimated that in six months before the passage of the Immigration Act of 1891, as many as 50,000 immigrants entered the U.S. from Canada without inspection. Fucking sneaky Canadians! Uh, with the Immigration Act of 1891, uh, Congress began tightening regulation of the U.S.-Mexican and U.S.-Canadian borders. 1891 Act also extended the federal, federal government's power to uh, deport immigrants beyond Chinese workers and contract laborers. The Act listed all the existing categories of exclu- – or added to all the – to existing categories uh, of excludable immigrants. Check out this list. Idiots, the insane, paupers, and polygamists, persons liable to become a public charge – People convicted of a felony or other crime or misdemeanor involving moral turpitude suffers from a loathsome or dangerous contagious disease. Uh, this act connected each of these excludable categories with the deportation provision so that all these categories were now both excludable and deportable. Uh, the Office of Immigration is established in this act. The new executive or bureaucratic office would com- comprise three clerks and a superintendent appointed by the president who all worked under the jurisdiction of the Secretary of the Treasury. By 1894, this federal bureaucracy had become the Bureau of, of Immigration. 
Then there was the Gentleman's Agreement of 1907 with the Empire of Japan. In 1906, the San Francisco, California Board of Education passed a regulation whereby children of Japanese descent would be required to attend separate racially specific schools. And this did not sit well with uh, the prideful government of Japan. They didn't appreciate their, their people being discriminated against, so they, they made an informal agreement with the U.S., the Japanese agreed to no longer give passports to Japanese citizens looking to move to the United States in exchange for the U.S. not legally discriminating against Japanese already living in the United States, including letting them uh, attend the same schools as everyone else. Uh, real, real gentlemanly. Uh, this strange agreement actually led to a massive immigration influx to Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii, to this day, largely still influenced by Japanese culture, the Japanese government continued to issue passports to its citizens to move to Hawaii then just a territory of the U.S., and then from Hawaii, easy for immigrants to bounce on over to the mainland. Fucking loophole! Uh, outside of blatantly racist anti-Asian immigration policies, immigrants continued to pour into the U.S. Mexicans fleeing various revolutions pour into Texas and the American Southwest. European Jews flee uh, pogroms in uh, uh, pogroms, I think it's – that word always fucks with me. I always want to say pogrom. But pogroms in Eastern Europe and Russia – it's just uh, uh, what it means. We've talked about it before in various other uh, sec episodes. Is just uh, you know um, basically like purges of Jewish communities in Europe, um, racially and religious you know motivated purges. Uh, there was Armenians escaping massacres in Turkey, etc. New York City in particular became an elaborate melting pot with various neighborhoods representing various nations. Then World War One broke out. Attitude shifted again about who should be let into America with the Immigration Act of 1917. This act, also known as the Literacy Act, and as the Asiatic Barred Zone Act, was the most sweeping immigration act that the United States had passed up until that point. Literacy had been proposed as a prerequisite for citizenship for a few decades, but no legislation passed until 1917. Uh, this act added substantially to the list of the 1875 Page Act's, uh, quote, undesirables, banned from entering the country. Uh, th this group now included alcoholics, anarchists, contract laborers. Criminals and convicts, epileptics, feeble-minded persons, idiots, illiterates, imbeciles, insane persons, paupers. Fucking pauper. Fucking get out, pauper! Uh, persons afflicted with contagious diseases, persons being mentally or physically defective, persons with constitutional psychopathic inferiority, okay? Uh, political radicals, polygamists, prostitutes, and vagrants. Sweet Jesus, where to begin with this shit? Uh, really, really leaves a lot of room for interpretation, doesn't it? Criminals and convicts, that's pretty straightforward. So is persons afflicted with contagious diseases, but anarchists? H how does that come up on an immigration form? Okay, you're almost in, sonny boy. Uh, one more question. Would you like to destroy the government and usher in a new era of complete lawlessness where the government protects no one? And it's every man for themselves. No police, no public schools, no infrastructure, development, or maintenance of any kind. Just, you know, complete and total anarchy. Yes, I, I would like to destroy government. I, I anarchist. Ooh, that's, uh, that's no good, son. I'm afraid uh, it says right here, no anarchist. Really? That is such a bummer. I no get to topple American government. Afraid not, buddy old pal. Uh, back to Russia, Mr. Bolshevik. Uh, prostitute, pretty straightforward. Although, if you don't have an arrest record already, like placing you in the, in the criminals and convicts category— I don't know why you would ever offer that information up to an immigration official, <laughs> you know. So, uh, young lady, what are you hoping to do uh, for work here in the United States? Uh, dicks. I was hoping to suck a lot of dicks for money. Oh, well, about that. No, no prostitutes. Uh, sorry. Back to Europe you go. 
Bok, bok. Is your judgment player for God knows no soul in all spotless neither? Bok, bok. Having the three separate categories of idiot and feeble-minded person is interesting. To me, uh, obvious who they were targeting here. Like, just, just say it. You don't want more Polish immigrants. You're tired of those, you know, morally defunct monsters sneaking in and scaring the children. God, it's so much easier to say things about Polish people when my wife isn't sitting next to me. Seriously, though, uh, weird to throw in all three of those terms, right? Uh, <laughs> like, should we let him in? He's not feeble-minded, and he's not really an imbecile. True, but he does seem like an idiot. Uh, persons with constitutional psychopathic inferiority. That one in vagrant seemed to me like ways to just throw anyone an immigration official just doesn't like out of the country. Uh, the first term was actually a popular psychiatric term of the day, created by German psychiatrist Julius Ludwig, Ludwig August Koch. And is, uh, is kind of a long-form version of psychopath, kind of. It, it meant someone with a natural criminal inclination. Uh, but wouldn't they already be barred under criminals and convicts? Uh, actually, when I dug further on it, it, it meant anyone of a homosexual orientation. Homosexual sexual activity being technically still illegal. So, you know, anyone who admits openly to being homosexual, not welcome. Uh, this is only 100 years ago that homosexuals legally banned from becoming citizens. Vagrant defined as a person without a settled home who wanders from place to place with, without steady work who begs. Uh, this one also, uh, I don't know, seems like probably like racist or me or, like, you know, maybe they were targeting like the Romani people, a.k.a. the Roma people, a.k.a. gypsies who were nomadic people originating in northern India who'd been roaming around Europe for centuries. Uh, in addition to banning the list of people I just mentioned, this new 1917 act banned anyone over the age of 16 who is illiterate. Literacy in this instance defined as the ability to read 30 to 40 words of their own language from an ordinary text. And then in another example of like blatant racism towards Asians, there was that whole Asiatic barred zone language. And that blocked certain countries or people from certain countries to, to immigrate into the U.S. Basically, it, it barred anyone from the South Pacific Islands, such as Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, et cetera, uh, everything except for the Philippines. Also banned entry to anyone from Korea, Vietnam, Laos, et cetera, Barred anybody from India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, et cetera. Banned anyone from any place in the Middle East and Turkey. Not just going after the Chinese and Japanese anymore. They were like, uh, no more. No more Asians in general. No more Asian-y people. No more Asian-ish humans. There was a tremendous amount of anti-Asian sentiment in America, uh, particularly in the American West, where, where the overwhelming majority of Asians immigrated to in the early 20th century. There, was, there, was a, there were Pacific Coast race riots of 1907 in the cities from L.A., uh, to the West Coast Canadian border. In Bellingham, Washington, an angry mob of 400 to 500 white men at this time attacked the homes of South Asian immigrants and literally beat them out of the city. Uh, institutionalized racism was taken even further in 1921 with the passage of the Emergency Quota Act. This legislation utilized immigration statistics to determine a maximum number of immigrants allowed to enter the U.S. from each nation or region. The numbers were heavily skewed in favor of immigration from Western European nations, uh, severely curbing immigration from areas perceived to be undesirable. The Emergency Quota Act re restricted the number of immigrants admitted from any country annually to 3% of the number of residents from that same country living in the U.S. already as of the U.S. Census of 1910. So this meant that, you know, people from northern European countries had a much higher quota and were m way more likely to be able to admit it to the U.S. than, you know, because since there was already so many people of, you know, uh, northern European descent living in the U.S., than people from Eastern Europe or Southern Europe or, or non-European countries. Interestingly, this act set no limits on immigration from Latin America. Basically, this law was enacted to reduce the amount of immigrants pouring in from Eastern European countries devastated in the wake of World War I. 
America still, for the most part, cool with Latin immigrants as of the 1920s. And, th- and then that would that would change. That would be reformed by the Immigration Act of 1924. Uh, well, actually, it wouldn't affect Latin. I'm sorry. Uh, the next Immigration Act of 1924, it's still a little ways further along before uh, it starts to affect Latin immigrants. The Immigration Act of 1924 basically just imposed further bans on Eastern and now Southern Europeans, particularly Italian Catholics, not popular at that time. Uh, we learned about anti-Italian and particularly anti-Sicilian American leanings in the drunk-as-fuck Axeman of New Orleans suck a few weeks back. Uh, this act used some careful wording to exclude mainly uh, Italians and, and also European Jews. According to the U.S. Department of State Office of the Historian, the purpose of the act was to preserve the ideal of American hom- uh, uh, homogenous. Homogenous, God, whatever. Should, I shouldn't have thrown that word in my notes. Homogeneity? Fucking, fucking hard word. Uh, wanted, wanted to keep American uh, homogenous. It provided funding and legal instructions to courts uh, of deportation for non-white immigrants, southern and eastern European immigrants who exceeded their national quotas. It added other non-whites to the existing ban on most Asians. However, it didn't ban Africans, didn't ban Hispanics. Persons of mixed white and Native American ancestry were considered white. This principle was interpreted under the act to allow Latin Americans to immigrate to immigrate as white persons. So, so Mexicans still able to move on up and become citizens. Restricting overall immigration, again, did lead to increased illegal immigration in the early 1920s in response to rising numbers of illegal entries and alien smuggling, especially along land borders. In 1924, uh, Congress created the U.S. Border Patrol within the Immigration Service. The executive order, uh, 6166, June 10th, 1933, reunited the Bureau of Immigration and Bureau of Naturalization into one agency, the Immigration and Naturalization Service. The agency's focus shifted towards law enforcement as immigration volume dropped significantly during the Great Depression. Economy not great. People not wanting to pour in. Uh, through the 1930s, the INS dedicated more resources to investigation, exclusion, prevention of illegal entries, deportation of criminal and subversive aliens, and cooperating closely with the Department of Justice, United States Attorneys, and Federal Bureau of Investigation and prosecuting violations of immigration and nationality laws. And that makes sense. The economy is, is you know, devastated. Now the focus is uh, a little less on keeping people out because people don't want to come over as much. And the focus is more on getting certain people out because job competition is fierce. Uh, 1940, presidential reorganization plan number five moved the INS from the Department of Labor to the Department of Justice. New national security duties led to the INS's rapid growth throughout World War II. The agency's workforce doubled from approximately 4,000 to 8,000 employees as INS instituted the following programs to support the war effort. Uh, One was reordering and fingerprinting every alien in the U.S. through the Alien Registration Program, organizing and operating internment camps and detention facilities for enemy aliens, overseeing the expedited naturalization of more than 100,000 members of the U.S. Armed Forces, including 13,587 soldiers naturalized abroad in the nation's first overseas naturalization ceremonies. We needed more bodies to fight for us. Uh, Increased border patrol operations, record checks related to security clearances for immigrant defense workers, administration of a program to import agricultural laborers to harvest the crops left behind by American workers who went to war. Uh, 1942, the the agricultural program I just mentioned was given a big boost. American farmers' use of seasonal migrant workers, primarily from Mexico, was facilitated by the Bracero program. Uh, The Bracero program was created by executive order uh, in 1942 because many growers argued that World War II would bring labor shortages to low-paying agricultural jobs. Bracero is Spanish for manual laborer, by the way. 
the Bracero program, controversial. Mexican nationals desperate for work, willing to take arduous jobs at wages scorned by most Americans. Farm workers already living in the U.S. worried that the Braceros would compete for jobs and lower wages. In theory, the Bracero program had safeguards to protect both Mexican and domestic workers. Uh, for example, guaranteed payment of at least the prevailing area wage received by native workers, employment for three-fourths of the contract period, adequate sanitary and free housing, decent meals or reasonable prices, occupational insurance at employer's expense, free transportation back to Mexico at the end of the contract. Uh, employers were supposed to hire Braceros only in areas of certified domestic labor shortages, not to use them as strike breakers. Those are all the laws, but in practice, farmers ignored many of these rules, and, and Mexican and native workers suffered while growers benefited from plentiful cheap labor, and, uh, and other Americans then lost their jobs because of this. Be- between the 1940s and mid-1950s, farm wages dropped sharply as a percentage of manufacturing wages, uh, a result in part of the use of braceros and undocumented laborers who lacked full rights in American society. This is such an important point, man. I, I feel like a lot of people complain— about immigrants, illegal immigrants taking American jobs by be, you know by being willing to work for lower wages. What I, what I think is left out of this discussion all too often is the fact that legal citizens, often non-Hispanic legal citizens, are the ones hiring them, are the ones paying the illegal immigrants these cheap illegal wages. Uh, there's no problem if no one is hiring the illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants don't steal jobs. Someone is giving them those jobs. And aren't those people the real problem? They're fucking over the, the immigrants and they're fucking over American workers. Right? I feel like blaming illegal immigrants for taking jobs is kind of like blaming heroin addicts for a heroin epidemic. You don't get you know, the drug without the dealer. It's the dealers. They're the real problem, which is why dealing heroin gets you more prison time than buying and using it. Uh, I, know, I know the problem is more complicated than this, but, but maybe tougher legislation needs to be passed to, to more severely punish employers who, who are paying under the table illegal wages to illegal immigrants. I mean, you know, again, these people are, are both taking better paying jobs from legal Americans and also illegally exploiting illegal immigrants. Uh, 1943, Congress repeals the Chinese Exclusion Act. <laughs> Finally, geez. Uh, with the passage of the Magnuson Act, Chinese immigrants are now allowed to become citizens. And uh, a quota is set up allowing Chinese immigrants to immigrate to the U.S. every year. Guess how many get in every year? 105. Fuck, what, a, what an insult. What a joke. I mean, I guess I guess it's technically better than nothing, but oh, come on. All right, okay. I know we've been assholes to you guys. I know there's uh, there's millions of you in the country at this point. We're gonna let you come on over legally. We're gonna let uh, 100, 105 of you. We're gonna let a, we're gonna let as, as many as one hundred and five can come on over, and that's it. Nineteen forty six, the Loose Seller Act gives uh, allows another one hundred Indians and one hundred Filipinos to legally immigrate each year. How generous! How generous! They can become citizens. Uh, World War II alters immigration policy again, 1948, with the Displaced Persons Act. The Displaced Persons Immigration Program emerged from the enormous need to handle millions of displaced persons in Europe at the end of the world at the end of World War II. Uh, one strong objection was that it took away previous immigration quota places from others already on quota waiting lists. Simply transferred these places to uh, displaced persons and actually did this forwardly for as many years as needed by displaced persons, kind of like mortgaging the future year's places for other people. Another strong objection was that the details of the act caused it to heavily discriminate against Jewish uh, displaced persons, specifically those originally from Poland, not making this up, not just another shot of Polish people, they really did it, and the Soviet Union, who had not yet reached Germany, Austria, or Italy by December 22, 1945. This excluded group, uh, a group represented nearly the full totality of Jewish displaced persons. 
those objections and others uh, rem- were removed in a later Displaced Persons Immigration Act of 1950. Uh, displaced person eligible for admission to the United States under this act given the conditions on or after September 1st, 1939, and on or before December 22nd, 1945. Uh, they had to have entered Germany, Austria, or Italy by that time, resided in the American sector of Italy, resided in the British sector or French sector of Berlin or Vienna, resided in the American zone, British zone, or French zone of Germany or Austria, had to be a victim of persecution by the Nazi government, uh, or native of Czechoslovakia who fled persecution or fear of persecution from that country, and any of the affirmation countries since January 1st, 1948. So a lot of of stipulations. Uh, 1951, after nearly a decade in existence, concerns about production and the U.S. entry into the Korean conflict led Congress to formalize the Bracero Program with Public Law 78. Starting in 1951, hundreds of thousands of Braceros entered the country each year as non-immigrant laborers all the way until 1964. Uh, The McCarran-Walter Act is passed in 1952. Finally, repeals the remnants of the free white persons restriction of the Naturalization Act of 1790. <laughs> they waited all the way until 1952 to, to get rid of the white 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 person language. All right, all right, we'll fucking change it. Uh, however, this act remained the quota system for uh, that effectively banned nearly all immigration from Asia, except for those small annual quotas. Uh, after a few years, the massive influx of Hispanic workers is starting to create a lot of public backlash. And, and then one of the most racist-sounding programs in American political history is launched in 1954. Now, now, now is 1950s is when the uh, the anti-Latin immigration movement really starts to pick up steam. 1954 Operation Wetback is launched. I am not kidding. I'm not making that up. Uh, the the racial epithet <laughs> Wetback uh, used to describe Mexicans who illegally entered Texas by crossing the Rio Grande River, Rio Grande River. Uh, Operation Wetback. Uh, I, f- I feel terrible saying it, but that, that's the actual name of this operation. Launched by the Eisenhower administration, the largest mass deportation program in American history. As many as 1.3 million Hispanic immigrants who did not return home after their Bracero visas had expired rounded up and deported. Uh, with the help of the Mexican government, w- which wanted these people to come back to help alleviate a labor shortage, Border Patrol agents and local officials uh, used military techniques and engaged in a coordinated tactical operation to remove the immigrants. Along the way, they used uh, widespread kind of racial stereotypes to justify their sometimes brutal treatment of the immigrants. Uh, inside the U.S., an anti-American sentiment is pervasive now. Harsh portrayals of Mexican immigrants uh, are being uh, thrown around as being dirty, disease-bearing, and irresponsible. Uh, the anti-Mexican racism that, that still exists very strongly in many places uh, yeah, reached a fever pitch in the 1950s. Anti-Asian sentiment is decreasing, anti-Hispanic sentiment increasing. During Operation Wetback, tens of thousands of immigrants shoved into buses, boats, and planes sent to often unfamiliar parts of Mexico where they struggled to rebuild their lives. In Chicago, three planes a week were filled with immigrants and flown to Mexico. In Texas, 25% of all the immigrants deported were crammed into boats, uh, boats that were later compared to slave ships. Uh, People dying of sunstroke, disease, other causes while in custody. All too reminiscent in some ways of uh, some of the current, current immigration situations regarding Latin immigrants. 1965, things get a little better. The Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965 was passed, a.k.a. the Hart-Seller Act. Man, longtime Democratic New York Congressman Emanuel Seller sponsored another bill uh, alleviating racial discrimination when it came to immigration. He's a good man. Uh, He was born in Brooklyn, 1888, died in Brooklyn, 1981, age 92. Went to to Columbia in Manhattan, got a law degree from Columbia. Dude never left New York City, Uh, but he did a lot of good for the country as a whole. This act removed racial language from previous immigration laws, got rid of the ban on various Asian and Middle Eastern nations. Should be noted, though, that it upheld a ban on homosexuals, still classifying them as mentally defective 
and suffering from the constitutional psychopathic inferiority. Uh, the new law did maintain per-country limits on immigration, also created uh, preference visa categories that focused on immigrant skills and family relationships with citizens or U.S. residents. The bill set uh, numerical restrictions on visas at 170000 per year with a per-country of origin quota. However, immediate relatives of U.S. citizens and special immigrants had no restrictions. Some of the special immigrants included ministers, former employees of the U.S. government, foreign medical graduates, among others. Uh, this, this act significantly altered U.S. racial composition. Prior to 1965, the demographics of immigration stood at, at mostly Europeans. It was 68% of legal, legal immigrants in the 1950s came from Europe and Canada. However, in the three years, uh, or excuse me, in the years, three, uh, in, the, in the 20 years, 21 years actually, 1971 to 1991, immigrants from Hispanic and Latin American countries made 47.9% of the immigrants, Mexico accounting for 23.7%, and immigrants from Asia, 35.2%. Not only did this change the ethnic makeup of immigration, uh, it also greatly increased the, the number of immigrants. Uh, immigration constituted 11% of the total U.S. population growth between 1960 and 1970, growing up to 33% from 1970 to 1980 and 39% from 1980 to 1990. Man, or, yeah, man, a lot of numbers, a lot of numbers, man, so far, right? I don't know about you guys, but they start to confuse me after a while. Too many. Let's take a break. Let's take a break from today's numbers with a quick word from today's sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you today by renowned musician Andrew Hole's A-Hole Air Banjo Academy. At the A-Hole Air Banjo Academy, you'll learn the fundamentals of air banjoing, like scales, blink, 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 and the basic keys of G, blink, C, blink, D, blink, E, blink, A, blink, and even H, blink. You'll be introduced to the basics of bluegrass, country, polka, even death metal. You'll learn the basics of rhythm, lead, and of course, improvisation. So, become a real banjo playing a-hole. Sign up for some lessons today at aholebanjoacademy.com slash timesuck. Get 20% off lessons that are guaranteed to annoy the living shit out of everyone around you for the rest of your irritating life. That, of course, is not one of today's sponsors. Bing, 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 bing. Uh, today's Time Suck, brought to you by Lisa. Quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster, prevents burnout, make better decisions, not play air banjo. Improve your memory. Uh, overall, make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing. It's science. I know more than I'd care to about the importance of sleep. Turns out you need it. And I, and I now know the difference between hotel sleep on the road, Lisa mattress sleep at home. No comparison. Lisa crushes it. I love it. My spine and crushed uh, disc really love it. Uh, to, to design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience, hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. And through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. Uh, sell. Uh, so cool, man. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world better than they found it. And that doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell and are committed 
to commit uh, to planting 1 million trees by 2025. So don't miss Lisa's kick-ass summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash timesuck. That's lisa.com slash timesuck. For $160 off, Lisa, L-E-E-S-A, a better place to sleep. Link in the episode description uh, and on the sponsor section of the TimeSuck app and website. Bing, bing, dong, dong, ding, dong. Ring, ding, 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 ding. Ring, ding, 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 God, fucking a-hole air banjo academy. I love it. Now, no sleep. All right? No sweet Lisa sleep right now. You got to wake the fuck up. That's why he's playing the banjo. Uh, we got more history to discuss. Back to today's immigration timeline, where things start to get a little better uh, for a little bit by 1980. 1980, President Jimmy Carter, uh, guy who probably knew his way around a banjo, signs the Refugee Act, creates a system to process refugees separately from other immigrants. The immigration ceiling separately capped at 270,000 people. The main objectives of this act, to create a new definition of refugee based on the one created at the UN Convention and Protocol on the status of refugees— uh, it was to raise the limitation from 17,400 to 50,000 refugees admitted each fiscal year and provide emergency procedures when that number exceeded 50,000. It also established the Office of U.S. Coordinator for Refugee Affairs, the Office of uh, Refugee Resettlement. Most importantly, it established explicit procedures on how to deal with refugees in the U.S. by creating a uniform and effective resettlement and absorption policy. Jimmy Cotta. Honestly, don't know a hell lot about uh, his political policies, but he always seemed like a good dude. Him and his wife, Rosalind, have been married for 72 years. 72 years they've been married. She's 90. Uh, he's 93. And they live in the same house they, they lived in before he was president. A two-bedroom rancher assessed, and this is like this year, assessed this year at $167,000 in Plains, Georgia. The birthplace of both Jimmy and Rosalind, little town of 234 people. 234. Dude still flies domestic when he travels. Unreal, the least blingy president in modern American history. Love me some Jimmy Carter. Uh, 1986, U.S. President Ronald Reagan passes the Controversial Immigration Reform and Control Act, giving undocumented immigrants a chance to gain legal citizen status. Status. Uh, the act also intensified efforts to crack down on U.S. employers hiring un- undocumented workers and increased the annual limit on immigration to 540,000 people. The act also required employees to attest their employees' immigration status. Uh, made it illegal to hire or recruit illegal immigrants knowingly, uh, legalized certain seasonal agricultural illegal immigrants. And here's a big one that relates to the current immigration situation. It legalized illegal immigrants who entered the U.S. before January 1st, 1982 and had had resided there continuously with the penalty of a fine, uh, back taxes due, admission of guilt. Candidates were required to prove that they were not guilty of crimes, that they were in the country before January 1st, 1982. They had possessed at least a minimal knowledge about uh, – or that they possessed minimal knowledge about U.S. history, government, and the English language. And nearly 3 million illegal immigrants uh, granted amnesty through this act. Reagan, great work there. Thank you, actor and president. Uh, then there was the Immigration Act of 1990, increased total uh, overall immigration to allow 700,000 immigrants to come to the U.S. per uh, year for the fiscal years 1992-1994, 675,000 per year after that. Uh, The act also lifted the English testing process for naturalization that had been imposed in the Naturalization Act of 1906 for permanent residents who are 55 and over and had been living in the U.S. for 15 years as a permanent resident. And and finally, finally, finally uh, eliminated exclusion of homosexuals under the medically unsound classification of sexual deviant. That was still in the 1965 Act's language. Uh, 1996, President Clinton signed the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act 
Uh, this act boosted border enforcement, called for construction of fences along heavily trafficked areas of the U.S.-Mexican border. Social programs for legal immigrants are reduced, virtually eliminated from uh, for undocumented immigrants. C- Congress mandated jail time for some immigrants accused of committing crimes. It was this act that established the deportation machinery that we have today. The 96 law essentially invented immigration enforcement as we know it now, where deportation is a constant and plausible threat to millions of immigrants. Legal immigrants, including green card holders, could now be deported if they were convicted of certain crimes, which now covered a broad umbrella of offenses, some of which were not violent. Uh, Congress radically expanded which crimes made uh, made an immigrant eligible for deportation, and they made these changes retroactive. God, man, that's that's the shit that I feel terrible for people where it's like you, you do everything right. You're 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 moving along the right track. And then the government's like, no, nah, now we're changing everything we told you 10 years ago. Now all that's gone overnight, says law professor Nancy uh, Moravitz of New York uh, University. People who had formed their lives here, came here legally or had uh, adjusted to legal status. were working here, building their families, had ordinary lives and everything else. Suddenly, because of some conviction, weren't even allowed to go in front of a judge anymore. They were just fast tracked to deportation. I remember talking to a guy uh, after a show years ago in Omaha, Nebraska about this. He was somewhere probably like 40, 50 years old range. Dude was born in Canada, but had lived in the U.S. since he was 18. Uh, he got married uh, to an American citizen, had several kids, been working in the States, gainfully employed his entire adult life. And then now when I was talking to him, he was very concerned about possibly getting sent back to Canada. He, he, I remember him telling me he wouldn't go to Canada. Uh, because he, he felt like if he went up there, there was a very real uh, chance he'd be, he would not be able to come back in the U.S. Uh, and and I, I'm pretty sure he told me, yeah, that he was a citizen. Uh, he got in a DUI, just like, unfortunately, uh, I also have on my record. That was actually what we kind of uh, talked about was I was doing a DUI joke at that time. This is a couple albums back. Uh, not an amazing life achievement. And, uh, you know, just so you guys know, I learned my lesson. I don't, I don't do it anymore. Well, this DUI uh, I don't, I don't, uh, that he had on his record – it flagged him in the system, in this, in this, under this new system. And since he wasn't born in the U.S., wasn't a citizen at birth, uh, because he was, you know, from Canada initially, yeah, faced the real possibility of getting kicked the fuck out. Crazy. That is crazy. I think, I think these kind of stories get lost in the big immigration debate a lot of times. I'll, I'll have more detailed and similar stories to share in this week's special version of Time Sucker Updates. Uh, well, immigrants convicted of crimes weren't the only ones stripped of their ability to argue their case before a judge, before getting deported. So did anyone apprehended within 100 miles of the border. Uh, This new act made it harder to gain citizenship through marriage as well. Marrying a U.S. citizen or permanent resident makes you eligible to apply for a green card. So does having an immediate relative who's a U.S. citizen, like a child, as long as the citizen is over 18. Uh, These are true whether or not you already live in the U.S. And before this program, it was true regardless of whether or not you were legal to begin with. Starting with the passage in 1996 of this uh, legislation, uh, an authorized immigrant couldn't directly apply for legal status, status even if he had or he or she had uh, married a U.S. citizen or qualified for a green card uh, through a relative. Immigrants were banished for at least three years if they didn't live in the U.S. without papers for six months or if they or if they had lived, excuse me, in the U.S. without papers for six months. Uh, the banishment lasted 10 years if the immigrant had lived in the U.S. without papers for a year or more. You could waive these bars if you could uh, show that your spouse or child would suffer extreme hardship but you had to leave the country to do that, triggering the ban before you found out if you'd actually be able to come back in through a waiver. You know, and many immigrants understandably felt this wasn't worth the risk uh, to leave the country where their family was barely getting by, needed their support to just leave, and then hope that you get to come back and support them later. Uh, 2003, the Department of Homeland Security is created in response to the terrorist attacks, 9-11. 
Taking over U.S. Uh, customs and immigration agencies, immigration and naturalization services turns into immigration and customs enforcement, ICE, uh, joining Customs and Border Protection, Citizenship and Immigration Services, and nearly 20 other agencies under the newly formed Department of Homeland Security. In 2006, the Secure Fence Act authorizes the construction of 700 miles over 1,100 kilometers of double-layered fencing along the U.S.-Mexico border, the precursor to the cries of build the wall, uh, barbed wire fences with light and infrared camera poles. The U.S. Border Patrol had begun to erect the first physical barriers south of San Diego in 1990. Uh, 14 miles of fencing had been built along the border of San Diego and Tijuana, and then this act took the barricade much, much further. By April 2009, about 613 miles of pedestrian fencing and vehicle barriers have been completed along the southwest border from California to Texas in areas of high traffic immigration. The total length of the border between the U.S. and Mexico, by the way, 1,954 miles. And this fencing, by the way, very expensive. From fiscal year 2007 through 2015, it cost approximately 2.3, excuse me, 2.3 billion to deploy border fencing along the southwest border. Estimated that maintaining the fencing will cost more than a billion more over the next 20 years. So how effective is it, this very expensive fence system? A 2017 Government Accountability Office report citing U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CPB, uh, data uh, found that from fiscal year 2010 through fiscal year 2015, the U.S.-Mexico border fence had been breached 9,287 times at an average cost of $784 uh, per breach to repair. The same report concluded that uh, the CBP cannot measure the contribution of fencing to border security operations along the southwest border because it has not developed metrics for this assessment. Uh, they noted that because the government lacks such data, it was unable to assess the effectiveness of border fencing and therefore could not identify the cost effectiveness of border fencing compared to other assets the agency deploys, including border patrol agents and various surveillance technologies. Also, the fence uh, routinely climbed or otherwise circumvented. The GAO reported in 2017 that both pedestrian and vehicle barriers have been defeated by various methods including using ramps to drive vehicles up and over vehicle fencing in the sector. That, that's, that's impressive. That sounds like uh, some people have been just dukes of hazarding that shit. You know? Well, looks like those old Duke boys have found themselves in a heap of trouble, stuck on the south side of the Rio Grande. Just how would they make it to Laredo now? They're revving up that 69 Charger. Oh, boy. They're going to go for the jump. Rosquito P. Cotrano Diaz, hot on the trail. Buena suerte. Buena suerte, boys. <laughs> Fucking, ah, I almost got through it without messing up a word. In addition, uh, that's, that's an old Dukes of Hazard reference for anybody uh, under the age of 40. Like, what the fuck? Who, Dukes of what? That was, that was supposed to be Waylon, Je Waylon Jennings' voice. In addition to driving over the fence, many have scaled it, jumped over it. They've cut holes through it. They've burrowed or tunneled, tunneled underneath it. Uh, New York Times op-ed writer Lawrence Downs wrote in 2013, a climber with a rope can hop it in less than half a minute. Smugglers with jackhammers tunnel under it. They throw drugs and rocks over it. Uh, the fence is breached not just by uh, uh, the fence is breached not just by sunlight and shadows, but also the hooded gaze of drug cartel lookouts by bullets. Border agents describe their job as an unending battle of wits, a cat and mouse game with a constant threat of violence. 2012, uh, President Barack Obama passes an executive order called the DACA or the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, allowing hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children to remain in the country without the threat of deportation. The order also allows the so-called DREAMers, uh, illegal immigrants under 30 years old, to stay and work. 
The order allowed some individuals who were brought to the United States illegally as children to receive a renewable two-year period of deferred action from deportation and become eligible for a work permit in the U.S. To be eligible for the program, recipients cannot have felonies or serious misdemeanors. Uh, the policy uh, was created after acknowledgement that Dreamer students had been largely raised in the U.S., and this was seen as a way to remove immigration enforcement attention from low-priority individuals with good behavior. Uh, Dreamers, by the way, get their name from the DREAM Act, a bill that aimed to grant legal status to young immigrants brought to the U.S. illegally by their parents. Uh, The DREAM Act was first introduced back in August of 2001 in the Senate by Illinois uh, Democratic Senator Dick Durbin. Old Dickie Durbin. Old Dick D. Old D. Dick. And uh, and Utah Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. Bipartisanship. I love it. I love it. Work together, you fuckers. Uh, It was a legislative proposal for a multi-phase process for qualifying alien minors in the U.S. that would first grant conditional residency and upon meeting further qualifications, permanent residency. But it never passed. So so there you go. So so how things shifted recently? Well, honestly, other than people either being in favor of the whole build that wall movement or people being against it, uh, I didn't really know, uh, you know, where things shifted until recently. I, I know people have been getting fired up. Uh, I know this is a hot, hot topic for people. I know people have been uh, getting detained, but I didn't know why. Now I do. And I'm going to share what I've learned with you uh, after today's final sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you uh, by uh, the Great Courses Plus. And talk about Russia. And talk about Russia right now. So hot. So hot. Like Hansel and Zoolander hot. Uh, we've talked a lot about Russia here on the Suck. Stalin, Rasputin, Chikatilo, Chernobyl. Love a Russian suck fascinating nation, and I highly recommend checking out a fantastic course on the history of Russia from who? The Great Courses Plus. This course offers a fascinating exploration into the ideas, values, socioeconomical shifts uh, that make up Russia's past, beginning with Peter the Great, continuing on with the collapse of communism. Check out Lecture 27 taught by Professor Mark Steinberg, Bolsheviks in Power. Dive deep into how Russia transitioned from an imperialistic uh, monarchy to a communist world power. Or check out Lecture 30. Pick up an extra 30 minutes of uh, info on Stalin. Beef up your existing suck knowledge. Hail Nimrod. Uh, The History of Russia, uh, this course, 36 lectures in all, is just one of the vast and fantastic catalog of courses that you get to enjoy when you sign up for the Great Courses Plus. So much knowledge. So much info. So well done. Learn about practically anything. Uh, Watch and listen anytime, anywhere with the Great Courses Plus app. You're going you're gonna to love The Great Courses Plus. And today they're giving Time Suckers a free month's trial with unlimited access. Enjoy their entire library of fascinating lectures for free at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash timesuck to get started today. You're going to love it. Link in the episode description. Easy one-click button in the Timesuck app to take advantage of this awesome deal. All right, back in the USA. Back to the immigration timeline that has led up to Trump, uh, Trump's administration's current policies. The past few years, no important congressional immigration legislation has been passed. However, several important executive orders regarding immigration and or deportation have been pushed through. So what is an executive order? Uh, we've, we've mentioned a few here already on the show. Uh, it's an example of how powerful the office of the presidency is. An executive order is a directive uh, from the president that has much of the same power as federal law. The constitutional basis for the executive order is the president's broad power to issue executive directives. Uh, according to the Congressional Research Service, there is no direct definition of executive orders, presidential memoranda, and proclamations in the U.S. Constitution. There is likewise no specific provision 
authorizing their issuance. Uh, this is interesting to me in regards to President Trump because love him, hate him, confused by him, don't care about him. He has been uh, an extremely unique president. And one of the most unique things he's done is exploit loopholes in law or policy uh, or identify unprecedented uses of power and then just use them. Like he does a lot of things that leave a lot of pundits and critics screaming like, what in the fuck? He can't do that. And then when people really analyze it, they, they have this realization of son of a bitch. He can do that, actually. We did not know a president could do that. We just assumed because no one else did it, it was probably illegal. Son of a bitch. Turns out it's it's, it's totally legal, just unprecedented. Um, and one of the things he does is issue a lot more executive orders than most presidents because you can bypass Congress and the Senate and quickly enact new policy. Now, there's a chance that Congress will then pass legislation that invalidates an executive order. And they have done that on occasion, but that takes time. That puts the onus on them to move directly against the president. Uh, and then also the Supreme Court can overturn uh, an executive order. They can, they can kind of push pause on it, review it, and they, and they do that from time to time as well. Well, Trump has issued more executive orders in the first year of office than any other U.S. president since Lyndon Jumbo Johnson. And several of his executive orders have pertained to immigration policy. Uh, we'll look at them closely before bouncing out of this timeline. I know it's been an, a, a big one. On January 25th, 2017, Trump signed Executive Order 13768 titled Enhancing Public Safety in the Interior of the U.S., uh, which, among other things, significantly increased the number of immigrants considered a priority for deportation. Immediately prior to this order, uh, an immigrant ruled removable would only be considered a priority to actually be physically deported if they, in addition to being removable, were convicted of serious crimes such as felonies or multiple misdemeanors. Under the new order— uh, an immigrant can be considered a priority to be removed even if convicted of only minor crimes or even if they're just accused of criminal activity. Uh, Guadalupe Garcia de Rejos became the poster child for this type of illegal uh, immigrant, um, uh, but, but the, for the type of illegal immigrant, excuse me, affected by this order. She came illegally to the U.S. when she was uh, 14 years old. Now she's 36, and she was deported on February 9th, 2017, separated from her American husband and two teenage kids. Uh, she'd previously been convicted of felony criminal impersonation related to using a falsified social security card to work at an Arizona water park. So I feel like it sounds worse at first. Like she's a felon. And then you realize like her felon or her felony conviction is just like trying to get a job at a water park. She's a felon. She's trying to regulate the fucking loop-de-loop slide at the wet and wild. Uh, this conviction had not been considered serious enough prior to this order to actually remove her from the country. Although she was required to check in regularly with U.S. Immigration and Custom Enforcement, again, uh, a.k.a. ICE, uh, which she had done regularly since 2008. First time she checked in with an ICE uh, official after the new executive order took effect, uh, that led to her detention and then physical removal from the country. Uh, she remains in Mexico to this day, living with her parents in a cambro, uh, working in a tortilla shop. Two days later, January 27, 2017, President Trump signs Executive Order 13769 titled Protecting the Nation from Terrorist Attacks by Foreign Nationals. This suspended entry for citizens of seven countries for 90 days. Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen. The order also stopped the admission of refugees of the Syrian civil war indefinitely and, and the entry of all refugees to the U.S. for 120 days. Now, refugees who were on their way to the United States uh, when the order was signed were stopped, uh, were detained at airports. A lot of public backlash regarding this order. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It dominated the news for weeks. A lot of uh, immediate lawsuits, many legal challenges to this order were brought immediately after its issuance from January 28th to uh, January 31st, 
Almost 50 cases were filed in federal courts. Some courts, in turn, granted temporary relief, including a, a nationwide temporary restraining order that barred the enforcement of major parts of this executive order. On March 6, 2017, Trump signed a revised executive order that, among other differences from the original order, excluded Iraq, visa holders, and permanent residents from the temporary suspension and did not differentiate Syrian refugees from refugees from other countries. On uh, June 26, 2017, the Supreme Court partially allowed this new revised order to be enforced. September 5, 2017, Trump's office formally announces that the DACA program, uh, a.k.a. the Dreamers program initiated by, uh, by, by that Obama executive order, is done. Uh, this is significant. It put an expiration date on the legal protections granted to the roughly 800,000 people known as Dreamers, those people who had uh, entered the country illegally but as children. Uh, President Trump issued a statement saying, I do not favor punishing children, most of whom are now adults for the actions of their parents. But we must also recognize that we are a nation of opportunity because we are a nation of laws. Now, I do think Trump makes a valid point here. Uh, this, to me, is a good example of cold logic versus emotional thinking. And, and I don't say that, uh, uh, you know, say that thinking that emotional thinking doesn't have value. You know, it does. But it's an interesting point. Interesting point to think about concerning America's current immigration status. What is the best decision to make when emotion is taken out of the equation? What is the best pragmatic decision? What is the best feel-good emotional decision? And then how far apart are those two decisions? We'll, we'll look at this in a little bit after the timeline, uh, this kind of stuff. September 24th, 2017, the Protecting the Nation from Terrorist Attacks by Foreign Nationals Executive Order superseded by Presidential Proclamation 9645 to establish travel bans on seven countries omitting Sudan from previous lists while adding North Korea and Venezuela. Uh, a presidential proclamation, by the way, is just a form of executive action, which is a type of executive order. Essentially, slightly different paperwork, same concept. Fucking red tape, man. My God, does the government love to overcomplicate shit. Actually, actually I'm sure uh, uh, government employees hate how overcomplicated things are. They're the ones that have to process all this bullshit paperwork. Overcomplication, sadly, maybe just the inevitable result of a few hundred years of different politicians Taking office every few years, monkeying around with the laws, you know, in a lawsuit-happy society. Things have to get overly worded. Fucking too many lawyers get thrown into the mix. Things get left on the books. People get scared to remove other things. Ugh, what a mess it is. Uh, sometimes I feel like it'd be nice just to have a big committee just overhaul all of our laws. Just get rid of all the bullshit. Clarify the essential stuff. Um, but then probably that wouldn't even clean things up because we meet sacks, you know, we're not good on agreeing on stuff. You know, as long as there are modern nations comprised of hundreds of millions of people in an increasingly complex world, shit is probably just going to continue to be more complex. Damn it. Why can't we just put Bojangles in charge? If he grins and wags his tail, it's legal and we keep it. If Bojangles growls, tail goes down, illegal, and it's out. Praise Bojangles. Okay, October 2017. Man, we're getting close to the present day. Trump ends the ban on refugee admissions while adding new rules for tougher vetting of applicants essentially halting entry of refugees from 11 high-risk nations. This leads immediately to a 40% drop in entrance from those nations. April 6, 2018, or this year now, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions directed federal prosecutors to adopt immediately a zero-tolerance policy for all offenses related to the misdemeanor of improper entry into the U.S. and that this zero-tolerance policy shall supersede any existing policies. First-time offenders would now face criminal prosecution, when historically they would face civil and administrative removal, while criminal convictions were usually reserved for those who committed the felony of illegal re-entry after removal. It is the aftermath of this decision that dominates today's immigration headlines. 
May 7th, 2018, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announces, if you cross the border unlawfully, then we will prosecute you. If you smuggle an illegal alien across the border, then we'll prosecute you. If you're smuggling a child, then we're going to prosecute you. And that child will be separated from you probably as required by law. Following this announcement, dozens of massive protest demonstrations are held around the nation. Many others are held internationally. On June 20th, the summer 2018, Trump signs another executive order. This one is called, if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Now, with this order, Trump legalizes the phrase, go fuck yourself, to make an exemption to masturbating in public, uh, previously being a crime. Since June 20th, it's actually legal to openly masturbate in any public space as long as you are masturbating to, uh, as, a, as a way to display your lack of agreement regarding passage of political policy. Uh, of course, that's not true. I just had to lighten this shit up for a second. It's always so heavy. Uh, would be funny if that was true, though, right? You know, you're grabbing breakfast at a diner. Some dude just suddenly slams down his morning paper in disgust, takes off his reading glasses, drops his pants, and then still visibly angry, just starts jerking off over his pancakes and eggs. Just, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Everyone else just shrugs it off. All right. Go back to eating their breakfast. No, on June 20th, 2018, Trump signs executive order titled Affording Congress an Opportunity to Address Family Separation. This order maintained a zero-tolerance attitude to border crossings of the previous order, but now allowed families to be detained together. June 26, 2018, the Supreme Court ruled five to four along ideological lines in favor of the September 2017 version, Presidential Proclamation 9645, of the Trump administration's travel ban, reversing some lower court rulings that had deemed the ban unconstitutional. And, of course, there has been a lot of additional immigration rhetoric on, on all sides uh, this year, in addition to what I've stated, other reforms, uh, other stuff passed that we could have mentioned. But what I've outlined so far it really does give us the gist of United States immigration and immigration policy history from the very beginning, allowing us to have a, you know the, the, the necessary context to discuss the current situation intelligently. So now let's get the fuck out of this timeline and do just that. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. All right, to, to clarify, I'd like to reiterate that the immigration argument really isn't about immigration for most people. It's actually mostly about illegal Im immigration. That's an important distinction to make. Although there, there have been calls to end even allowing tourists in from certain countries, and, and there have been calls to halt immigration altogether. So, you know, shit, uh, it's about a lot of stuff. But mostly, it's about illegal immigration, so I will mostly focus on that. And the main arguments against illegal immigrants, from what I can tell, are that they, uh, one, increase crime, two, take jobs, and three, drain government resources, adding to the burden of national debt. So, let's start with crime. Uh, you know, do illegal immigrants add to violent crime? When Lindsay and I were in San Diego a few weeks ago, we had a very interesting discussion with our Uber driver. 21-year-old young man recently arrived from his uh, arrived uh, from Iraq with his family, with his, with his parents and everything and siblings. Uh, he was, to our surprise, very in line with Trump administration, uh, you know, the, the stance of the Trump administration regarding illegal immigration. He said it took his family over four years to make it to America. So they left Iraq, wanted to make it to America years earlier, couldn't do so, had to live in Jordan for about four years. During those four years, this man's dad, you know, filed out, you know, filed uh, – and filled out form after form after form, took a variety of background checks, went through a, a litany of interviews, all to prove that they were not terrorists, that they didn't have any terrorist uh, ties, 
And, uh, and he said he wouldn't have it any other way. He said he felt that way because he knows what it's like personally to live in a violent, chaotic nation where he saw dead bodies many, many times on his way to and from school, where you know he witnessed gun battles breaking out in his neighborhood, violent foreigners from Syria and elsewhere sweeping through his neighborhood you know, from time to time. Uh, the whole point for his family in leaving all of this was to make it to a country that actually was safe. And he talked about how if America didn't protect its borders, then the quality of life it had that made so many people want to leave their countries to start a new life in America would go away. You know, he po- pointed out that the United States is only worth breaking into if life is better here than, than what it is where people are escaping from. And I thought that was a very interesting perspective. And, and I do think it's reasonable and rational to screen which immigrants we let in. I can't imagine not doing that. And this is a big argument in favor of cracking down on illegal immigration. If, if we don't know who's getting in, how can we possibly screen every, you know, anyone? Uh, to be fair, though, I should point out that currently America is not more statistically violent because of illegal immigrants, despite a never-ending flow of annual Ill- illegal immigration throughout our nation's history and a lot of rhetoric. Sure, there are headlines about illegal immigrants uh, you know, doing this or that as far as crime, even violent crimes like murder. I saw one today. But they're not committing these crimes statistically more often than citizens. That's an important point to make. Uh, Alex uh, Nautresh uh, with the Libertarian Cato Institute think tank, and you fucking know I love a libertarian perspective. Uh, Alex compared criminal activity between illegal immigrants and native-born residents in Texas, one of the states with the largest influx of immigrants. He noted that in 2015, Texas police made 815,689 arrests of native-born Americans. 37,776 arrests of immigrants uh, who are in the in the country, you know, illegally, and uh, and then 20,323 arrests of legal immigrants. Given the relative populations for each group, he wrote the arrest rate for illegal immigrants was actually 40% below that of native-born Americans. In addition, he wrote that the homicide arrest rate for native-born Americans was about 46% higher than the illegal immigrant homicide arrest rate. And that actually makes sense to me. Uh, I used to get super annoyed driving around Los Angeles when there wasn't, you know, gridlock traffic, partly because it felt like I was always stuck behind some asshole uh, actually driving the speed limit or uh, driving below the speed limit. How much do we hate those people? Uh, you know, and, and I wanted to drive 10 to 20 miles per hour above the speed limit that I used to do down there. And, and, and usually to me, it seemed that the slow driver appeared to be Hispanic. And I would think, I wonder if they're an illegal immigrant and which makes sense to me because I could drive fast and just I, all I get is a speeding ticket. You know, whatever, a couple hundred bucks, a little higher insurance rate. My life continues the same as it did before. Very different stakes of getting pulled over means you get kicked the fuck out of the country. Uh, I would think you would mind your P's and Q's a little bit more if one arrest means you're out of here. Uh, there have been a lot of other studies determining whether or not illegal immigrants add to violent crime. Michael Light, criminologist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, looked at whether the soaring increase in illegal immigration over the last three decades caused a, uh, caused a big jump in violent crimes, murder, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. And he found that statistically, it absolutely did not. Uh, these findings published in the current edition of the peer-reviewed journal Criminology. In a separate study, researchers looked at nonviolent crime. They found that the dramatic influx of undocumented immigrants, similarly, did not drive up rates of drug and alcohol arrests or the number of drug overdoses and DUI deaths. Uh, we found no evidence that undocumented immigration increases the prevalence of any of those outcomes, Light said. Finally, a research paper appearing in the current edition of the UK journal uh, Migration Letters shows that youthful undocumented immigrants engage in less crime than do legal immigrants or U.S.-born peers. All of this comes as no surprise to Art uh, Acevedo, the police chief in Houston, which has one of the largest undocumented populations in the nation. 
The chief has been publicly critical of the immigration crackdown recently, saying there's no wave of crime being committed by the immigrant community. As a matter of fact, a lot of the violent crime that we're dealing with is being committed by people that are born and raised right here in the United States. And I found study after study after study saying the same goddamn thing. There's a lot of rhetoric about illegals blowing up crime stats, but no actual consistent studies back that argument up. I'm sure I could find a study or two if I tried hard enough, uh, but at the very least, stats seem to say overall that immigrants are not adding to crime stats. And again, this this is not to say that they're not committing crimes. Uh, just you got you to think about this argument. They they are committing crimes, just not statistically at a higher rate than the rest of the country. Now, do I think that because there isn't an increased crime uh, stats that we should actually just turn a blind eye towards illegal immigration? Fuck no. There should be a formal legal process you have to undergo to get in. Uh, However, I just think it's worth noting that the argument that we have to do something because of all the rampant crime illegal immigrants are committing seems to be utter bullshit. Seems to be media nonsense, political nonsense. Uh, So what about the job argument? Are illegal immigrants taking American jobs and driving down wages? Well, Vonda Felbab-Brown, senior fellow at the Washington, D.C. think tank, the Brookings Institute, has this to say. Uh, She says, the impact of immigrant labor on the wages of native-born workers is low. However, undocumented workers often work the unpleasant, back-breaking jobs that native-born workers are not willing to do. She explains that many of the jobs occupied by undocumented workers in the U.S. are physically demanding jobs that Americans do not seem to want, such as gutting fish, working on farm fields. She argues... Fixing immigration is not about mass deportations of people, but about creating a legal visa system for jobs Americans do not want. And it is about providing better education opportunities, skills development, and retooling and safety nets for American workers. However, Brian Stauffer, journalist at Politico, an Arlington, Virginia-based media company that focuses on politics, has an imposing view on this matter. He says that anyone who tells you that immigration doesn't have any negative effects doesn't understand how it really works. When, and this is regarding, you know, the workforce. When the supply of workers goes up, the price that firms has to have to pay to hire workers goes down. You know, just supply and demand economics. Wage trends over the past half century suggest that a 10% increase in the number of workers with a particular set of skills probably lowers the wage of that group by at least 3%. Even after the economy is fully adjusted, those skill groups that receive the most immigrants will still offer lower pay relative to those that received fewer immigrants. He further states that the typical high school dropout earns about $25,000 annually. According to census data, immigrants admitted in the past two decades lacking a high school diploma have increased the size of the low-skilled workforce by roughly 25%. As a result, the earnings of this particularly vulnerable group dropped by between $800 and $1,500 each year. Now, that's an important point to make. Like, we can joke— you know, and 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 I've definitely made some of these jokes. You know about about how uh, illegal immigrants are willing to take you know low paying jobs like picking fruit, low level construction labor, uh, landscaping, dishwashing, etc. And like you know like and and who who wants these jobs anyway? But what if companies weren't able to hire illegal immigrants for these jobs? What if they had to hire Americans? What if in order to attract citizens to these jobs they had to pay more? Would the ripple effect of that crush the economy by raising the cost of goods and putting small businesses dependent? on this illegal workforce out of business, or would it provide a living wage to more Americans and help the economy overall? I, I don't know. That's some deep dive economic theory shit that from what I can tell, economists, or economists, economists, you guys, uh, economists are deeply divided on. Uh, Stoffer does mention that because companies can pay lower wages due to illegal Im- immigrants, they make more in profits, benefiting owners more than workers, adding to the widening gap between the rich and the poor. So basically, uh, illegal immigration helping the wealthy factory owner hurting the already poor factory worker. 
So, you know, at a little more than a quick glance, I'd, I'd have to say, yes, a massive influx of illegal immigration absolutely does harm American jobs, at least some of them. Some of the most vulnerable Americans are affected. Those already at the deep poverty level we mentioned earlier, already in real danger of falling one step down into homelessness. So now for another debate point, are illegal immigrants adding to the national tax burden? Well, let's start again with political Brian Stauffer. He claims that immigrants receive government assistance at higher rates than natives, the higher cost of all the services provided to immigrants and the lower taxes they pay because they have lower earnings, inevitably implying that on a year-to-year basis, immigration creates a fiscal hole of at least $50 billion. $50 billion, that burden falling on the native population. But the folks over at the Brookings Institute disagree. Brookings Senior Fellow Danny Behar uh, points out a, a positive link between immigration and economic growth. Behar explains that while immigrants represent about 15% of the general U.S. workforce, they account for around a quarter of entrepreneurs and a quarter of investors in the U.S., and over one-third of new forms have at least one immigrant entrepreneur in the initial leadership team. Behar also states that by cutting on immigration, the country will miss an opportunity for new inventions and ventures that could generate more jobs for natural citizens already here. Interesting thoughts. Uh, Mustafar Krishi, a director at Migration Policy Institute, believes cutting down immigrants uh, is detrimental to the economy. Fewer immigrants means fewer workers. You want to be a super economic power, you need labor market growth. Just he says, uh, uh, adding, you can't have economic growth without labor market growth. And I thought this was very interesting. One Texan, uh, former President George W. Bush, has a lot of interesting things to say about immigration, or at least his presidential center does. A quote on the website says, America is strengthened by the contributions made by immigrants for the U.S. economy to flourish to its full potential. Outdated immigration policy must be modernized. The Bush Center says that immigrants are not taking over, that in fact immigrants actually only account for 13.5% of the total population, which is in line with historical norms. Um, But I'm getting a little off track. Oh, no, and and actually one one thing he says also is that they help the economy, stating that immigrant-owned businesses have an average of 11 employees. But I am getting off track. Uh, You you start looking into illegal immigration, you you inevitably find yourself in arguments for immigration in general. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to be talking and focusing about illegal immigration. So let's focus on it. Well, Michael McDonald, Ph.D., assistant professor in finance at Fairfield University, thinks uh, that, <laughs> that legal immigration does help the economy. And I'm not making his name up. I swear I'm not making up the name. His name really is Michael McDonald. Yamo promise. Oh, 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 Yamo promise. I swear his name is really Michael McDonald. I swear he's really a professor in finance. I swear his name is really Michael McDonald. I swear he has some shit to say about immigration. Bum, 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 bum. Okay, Michael McDonald, not Triple M, says the economic impact of illegal immigration in the U.S. is costly, impacts the financial security of the country's legal residents. The impact plays out in a number of ways. Illegal immigration reduces wages. Those unregulated workers are often underpaid, which keeps wages lower on a particular occupation or region. Illegal aliens can put a financial burden on local and federal law enforcement. Immigrants, on average, tend to have larger families than those in the U.S. The difference uh, constrain the resource to local districts. And he goes on and on and on. Uh, Meg Wee, state tax policy director for the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, disagrees, saying, fuck Michael McDonald. He could suck my dick. So, you know, there's that to consider. No, Meg didn't say that. Uh, It'd be amazing if she did. She said, uh, undocumented immigrants contribute significantly to state and local taxes, collectively paying an estimated $11.64 billion a year. Uh, Contributions range from almost $2.2 million to Montana, 
with an estimated undocumented population of 4,000 to more than 3.1 billion in California, uh, home to more than 3 million undocumented immigrants. Uh, so overall, I'd say the results of whether or not illegal immigrants are tax burden mixed. So to review, legal immigration does not add to existing crime rates or and neither does illegal immigration. Uh, uh, so far, illegal immigration, yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, does not. Illegal immigrants do take away certain jobs, the jobs of unskilled workers primarily. Uh, legal immigration does drive down wages for those jobs by flooding the market uh, with too much supply. However, immigrants, including illegal immigrants, do seem to add value to the overall economy, and they don't currently add an unnecessary burden to the tax system. So what the fuck do we do? Uh, do we just let whoever wants to pour in, pour in? I don't think so. That, that Iraqi uh, Uber driver from San Diego, he got really angry when Lindsay and I brought this up. He, he talked about how insulting it would be uh, to do that to legal immigrants. He talked about how he and his family, they sat in, you know, Jordan, uh, you know, living in more danger than they were than they are here now in the U.S. for over four years trying to do things the right way. He said, why would future immigrants go through years of paperwork and vetting if they know it's just easier to sneak in if you're allowed to stay? And, th- and that's a great point. Uh, another thing to consider is how does our nation in general actually feel about immigration? Like it is a democracy overall. Well, despite how the media portrays the immigration narrative, people actually seem uh, less alarmed about immigration overall than they were a few decades ago, according to a 2017 Gallup poll. I find shit like this fascinating, the disconnect between what polls and stats say and what the media actually wants us to believe. So much of the media is such a fucking despicable joke right now. Uh, The share of Americans calling for lower levels of immigration has fallen from a high of 65% in the mid-90s to just 35%, now near its record low. This poll found that uh, fears that immigrants bring crime, take jobs from native-born families, damage the budget, overall economy, are at all-time lows. It found that the percentage of Americans saying immigrants mostly help the economy has reached its highest point since the Gallup began tracking that question in 1993. A Pew Research poll asking if immigrants strengthened the country with their hard work and talents similarly found affirmative responses at an all-time high. In a June 2018 Gallup poll, 75% of Americans were found to think that immigration in general, good for the nation. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us, uh, seem like, you know, most Americans are pretty fucking cool with immigration. Sure, there's going to be some people who are xenophobic. They don't like having their neighborhood infiltrated by a culture they just don't understand they're not used to. There, there's, there are, uh, you know, going to be some people who are just frankly racist about it. It's just life. There are going to be uh, some people who live in high crime neighborhoods who, who see criminals of a certain ethnicity com- commit m- most of the crimes, and that's going to influence their worldview. Some people are going to lose their jobs to illegal immigrants and understandably be fucking pissed. That's going to affect their, you know, worldview. But overall, stats don't confirm immigration fears on a national level. There are going to be some uh, who do lose their jobs, you know, but overall, the economy in general not going to suffer. Um, And and aside from this, okay, here's another thing to consider. The wall, right? That's the big thing with immigration, the wall. So we build the fucking wall on the American and Mexican border, border. Would it even work if we built it? According to the Cato Institute think tank study I read, many border patrol agents oppose a concrete wall. A cinder block or rock wall in the traditional sense isn't necessarily the most effective or desirable choice, some border patrol agents told Fox News. Seeing through a fence allows agents to anticipate and mobilize prior to illegal immigrants actually climbing or cutting through the fence. Also, the wall not geographically feasible in some places. And current tunnel detecting technology would not allow border patrol agents to find the tunnels in time to stop immigrants from going underneath it. Then there's the cost of the wall. Congress set aside $1.2 billion for the 700-mile border fence in 2006. For the Mexican uh, border, the, the full length, Trump's 30-foot concrete wall with a 10-foot tunnel barrier, $31.2 billion. 
uh, uh, you know, uh, over 30 million per mile, according to the best estimate from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Engineers. And then to maintain it with an increased number of Border Patrol agents, many, many, many billions more. So what do we do? What's the best immigration policy we can enact? I swear to God, I'm about to wrap up this passive suck. But before I do, let's check in with some time suckers who have offered some very unique immigration perspectives in today's special edition of Time Sucker Updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker Updates. All right, Time Suckers. Let's kick this uh, let's kick this one off with the story of Time Sucker Jessica Casillas and her husband Jack. Jack currently uh, stuck in Mexico due to some current policies. Uh, Jessica wrote me saying, okay, so here is our story. My husband and his family came to the United States in September 1994. Jack was 10 years old at the time. They came because Jack had severe asthma and was in and out of the hospital, and his parents couldn't find any work. They spent his first 10 years traveling between Acapulco and Cancun working different jobs. They finally decided they couldn't remain in Mexico because of the lack of available jobs, corrupt government, and the constant growth of the drug cartel, which brought kidnapping, rape, murder, and violence with it. They managed to get over the border and lived in California for a few years. Once Jack was 16 years old, he moved to Utah and stayed with the uh, family in Provo, Provo and then in West Valley City, Utah. Uh, in July of 2004, when he was 20 years old, he was at a party where the cops showed up and he was caught with less than 30 ounces of marijuana and a pipe. From there, uh, he was charged with a misdemeanor. I met Jack in 2005 when we uh, first met when he was in the process of taking care of his misdemeanor charge. We began a relationship and I knew uh, from the beginning uh, about his status. We got married June 23rd, 2007. Now have three children, two boys, 10 and 9, and a little girl, 5, all while having jobs, paying taxes, and not being on government assistance. In January 2016, we were able to afford the start of the immigration process. Uh, one thing I will tell you is that if an illegal immigrant marries a U.S. citizen, they do not get automatic citizenship. Thanks to September 11th, uh, 2001, that was abolished. So because Jack was brought here at the age of 10, he could have qualified for the DREAMer Act, but the misdemeanor disqualified him from being able to apply for it. The DREAMers had to have been uh, brought over as a child, graduated high school, and have no criminal record. So to start our process, we had to submit a 1601A application for provisional unlawful presence waiver, $670 fee. The application basically is Jack apologizing for crossing the border illegally, but then gives him permission to remain in the U.S. while we continue this process. We got that approved, went into our next application, which is a I-130 petition for alien relative, $535 uh, fee. So a lot of people don't, uh, don't understand is, uh, or what a lot of people don't understand is that you go through this process or in order to go through this process, you have to have someone sponsor you. If you don't have a sponsor, then basically you get kicked out and have to do it uh, from your country of origin. Sponsors can be a spouse, a relative over the age of 21, or an employer. Also, what you need to understand is that your sponsor has to qualify to be able to sponsor you. Um, if you don't qualify financially, then you have to find a co-sponsor. I have a job, but don't financially qualify to sponsor Jack completely. Uh, my awesome and amazing brother helped us and co-sponsored Jack. So we submitted Jack's petition and waited. With this petition, if approved, the alien, quote unquote, will have to then go uh, to an interview in their country of origin where they get their fingerprints done, physical exam, vaccinations all done, then go to an interview where they're asked a series of questions. If they're approved, they get uh, they wait for a package in the mail in the country of origin. They have to give you an address to have that sent to them, generally the hotel they're staying in. Uh, they get the package crossed back over the border because their green card now has been approved. After having your green card for six months, you can apply for permanent residency. And after having that for five years, you can then apply for citizenship and everything is awesome. 
We heard back December 7th, 2017 in regards to Jack's I-130 and found out that his interview date would be January 11th, 2018. Jack flew down to Ciudad uh, Juarez. Um, uh, January, <laughs> actually, Jessica uh, uh, put some uh, instructions for me to roll the R in. Juarez. Well, uh, I'll just try. Okay, January 7th, so he get his biometrics, fingerprints, and physical exam done before he went to his interview. I was super fucking pissed when they gave him three vaccinations he didn't need because he was up to date with all of them, and it cost us about 350 bucks. But the place is corrupt as hell, and they gave him to him anyways. He also had to wait five hours in line to get his Mexico criminal record done for the 10 years he was in Mexico as a child. He went to uh, its interview, called me two hours later to tell me that his green card had been denied due to the misdemeanor charge he obtained 13 years ago. Because it had been denied, he could not return home. He informed our lawyer of the situation. At this point, I got him on a flight to uh, Zihuatanejo, Mexico, uh, where one of his aunts live. He has remained there this entire time. He managed to find a job where he worked 12 to 13 hours a day, six days a week, and got paid $35 a day. I made him quit when there was an incident in the town he was working where the police slash military were making rounds and had been ambushed by the local uh, cartel in which six officers were killed and then 10 gang members were killed when the officers retaliated. He really has not been able to find uh, work since. While he was while he has remained there, I have been busting my ass trying to provide for my kids by selling a ton of shit, setting up a GoFundMe, and renting out my basement to financially survive, all while trying to get Jack home to us. My lawyer and I gathered more documentation together and submitted a I-601 application for waiver for grounds of inadmissibility, $930 fee. This application is basically Jack apologizing for his misdemeanor. I submitted it and, was rec- and it was received by immigration March 12th. The shitty thing is... They are backlogged on this application. The processing time frame currently says it's 18 months, which means they are currently working on applications received March 27th or March 2017. So if they, re- if they remain on this time frame, I estimate they might start working on Jack's application somewhere in June of 2019. If his I-601 gets approved, then we have to submit for another I-130 application, pay another fee, wait for another interview date. All with the possibility of him being denied again. Because of the time frame and, and be, me being a pain in the ass, Jack and I have contacted several congressmen in the hopes of them helping us. I am currently working with one of the congressmen, uh, one of Congressman Chris Stewart's employees, which if we qualify pr- by proving that I'm in extreme hardship, uh, we can get Jack's I-601 waiver uh, possibly expedited, but it's no guarantee he'll actually still be able to come home. To prove extreme hardship, I have to prove I'm, I am not financially surviving, which I'm not really, and I can't get government assistance either. I was denied. I'm mentally or emotionally distraught. I am seeing a social worker who uh, uh, is writing a letter explaining that we're not doing well, as well as explain that Jack is in danger, which with a travel ban and pulling news articles in regards to where he's at, yes, really not at all that safe. The thing that pisses me off the most is with all the applications we have submitted, they all require specific documents. They all require the same goddamn documents. All of them at this point. Uh, make me a professional tree killer and not on purpose. It's insane how many copies of my birth certificate, marriage license, kids' birth certificates, and other extremely sensitive information I've had to send in uh, by mail to immigration. Fortunately, with the help of my family and friends, I managed to fly down to Mexico to see Jack in March. Wasn't able to take our kids since I couldn't get their passports because I had to get them notarized and sign permission uh, from Jack to obtain their passports. And it can't be notarized just anywhere. It has to be notarized at a U.S. consulate, which is four hours south from where Jack is at in Acapulco. Uh, also keep in mind that the travel ban has been placed on Guerrero, uh, the state Jack is staying in, uh, because the cartel is getting bigger and is now starting to push into tourist areas. Acapulco is currently one of the most dangerous cities in Mexico. 
While in Mexico, my eyes are open and now I have a better understanding as to why we have so many people coming here. Take this into consideration. You have people fleeing a beautiful tropical paradise, risking their lives to come to a country to work pretty shitty jobs, get paid less than minimum wage, and call that a better life. I understand there are criminals crossing the border, but the majority of people coming here just want a better life for their family. Jack lived in the U.S. for 23 years, which basically made him a foreigner when he had to go back to Mexico. He spent the first two months not being allowed to go out by himself without a family member being with him to prevent him from being robbed, kidnapped, or killed because he doesn't understand the culture and he's stuck out like a sore thumb. In the seven months Jack has been in Mexico, I have spent that time trying to remain positive in every weird and shitty situation I've been in as well, as well as educating people by telling our story and explaining the process we've gone through so far and that our situation isn't nearly as shitty as some. After Jack was denied, he ran into a guy in the airport who also got denied with a 10-year ban because when he crossed the border, he carried his toddler daughter over, which is considered human trafficking. Since that man got a ban, he has to stay in Mexico for 10 years and will have to start this process all over again in Mexico in a decade. I have also had to be the rock to keep my family together. I'm good at setting my emotions and feelings aside to remain strong for my family while shit gets done. But it's difficult to have to see our kids go through this as well. Our kids and I have the good fortune to be able to go to Mexico in September for two weeks. This will be the first time in almost eight months since my kids have been able to give their dad a hug. I am really sorry for how long this email is, but I felt I'd provide our whole story to you in hopes it'll help. There are so many families like mine who have been torn apart for trying to do the right thing and become legal, who have done nothing wrong but try to make a pro or provide a better life for themselves and their families, which I've already explained I would do if I was in the same situation. Hail Nimrod, hail Lucifina, hail Bojangles, hail the Master of Time, Sir Dan Cummins, Sir Prophet, Reverend Esquire, hail Triple M, and hail Queen of the Suck Lindsay. Thanks again for all you do, Jessica Casillas. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jessica, for enlightening the rest of our community to the shit you've had to go through. My God. Uh, sorry you've had to deal with such a mess. Uh, sorry I wasn't able to include everything in your message. You know, I left out some personal stuff that just didn't didn't pertain to the to the narrative uh, I'm trying to stay focused on this beast of a suck. Uh, I wish I could help you. wish I could help Jack. Please let us know how this continues to play out. Uh, Hail Nimrod to you. You incredibly strong and determined meat sack. And I know people could think like, well, you know, he has a, a marijuana on his record. Well, I mean, how many of us have sit on our records, man? I'd, I'd be fucking out for sure. Uh, a couple criminal mischief things when I was younger. DUI. Ah, oh, fuck, man. I've talked about, uh, you know, illegal drug use on TV. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, crazy. Okay, so let's really switch things up. Hear from a time sucker who is also an immigration and customs enforcement officer, a member of ICE. I have an ICE challenge coin uh, in my little display case in the office. And I'm, I'm very proud to have it, man. Uh, a lot of these guys working their asses off to do the best job they can keeping our border safe. And I'm going to leave his name out uh, um, as requested because of his job and the sensitivity around it. Time sucker ICE officer, someone I've spoken to, uh, writes in saying, here's my history with immigration and customs enforcement, ICE. I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. Uh, I'm choosing to leave this uh, out, the place he sent uh, his alma mater. Uh, I wanted to be a federal law enforcement officer, and ICE was the first agency to hire me. So here I am. I've been with ICE since October 2007. Wow, man. So a while. My current title is deportation officer. I didn't pick it. It's just what they put on my credentials. I'll spare you the specifics. Just fair to say I've done both field and office jobs within the agency. I would like to qualify all my statements. These are my opinions and not representative uh, of agency policy. So here are my questions and, and then this time sucker's answers. I asked him, as someone actively working in the trenches, so to speak, someone dealing with immigration in a very real firsthand way, what do you think our national policy should be regarding immigration? Who gets in? Who gets kicked out? Do you like our current policy? If not, how would you change it? And he wrote back, I feel like our country was originally based on open immigration policy. People were encouraged to come here and start a new life. 
I personally think we should encourage people who want to be a law-abiding part of our society to immigrate into our country. So I'm firmly for legal immigration of people from all over the world. Our current policy is almost impossible to handle. It's just financially impossible to remove everyone currently illegally present and those who are entering the country illegally every day. Then I asked him, do you have any personal stories of families uh, who you've had to turn away that really broke your heart? Do you have stories of people who got in illegally then committed horrible crimes? And he said, I've seen too many stories of families who have been broken apart. Uh, also terrible criminals, pedophiles, murderers, and rapists that I was happy to remove from the streets of this country. That being said, I believe that we need to work on a method to allow law-abiding people who have illegally entered the country to be legally present and eventually citizens. Maybe have them pay a fine or they go back to the back uh, or they go to the back of the immigration line. I love that thought. Like you got in here illegally. Okay, but you've been a law-abiding citizen since or well, not citizen. You've been abiding the law since and and working your butt off since since you got here. Uh, All right, you can stay, but you have to pay some back taxes. You have to pay some fines. Seems like maybe we could find a balance where we can keep people who are already adding to the economy, uh, but also penalize them enough to deter future immigrants from entering illegally. Uh, I asked, do you think the whole let's build that wall would actually work? Would, would a wall keep out immigrants? Should we build a wall? He says, this wall is a, the wall is a pipe dream. It would cost too much and give, every, uh, and give very few benefits. People are resilient and industrious. They will find a way over or under a wall. A wall already exists in some places along the southern border, and it has been shown that people regularly climb over it or build a tunnel under it. A better investment would be a more extensive version of the virtual wall that is currently in place. The virtual wall is a network of drones, balloons, and ground sensors that detect people and aircraft trying to illegally enter the U.S. border and then alerting Border Patrol. Did not know about the virtual wall. Man, thank you. Thanks for your expertise, your insights. Uh, Thanks for answering my questions. Person I would like to name, uh, but I will not. I appreciate the honesty. And and now uh, time for another perspective. Uh, a few stories of some hardworking Mexicans who love this country and Mexican-Americans, and, and it had to work really hard to get here. And how, uh, you know, they, some of them, or one of them at least in the stories, could be kicked out any second. Mexican-American time sucker Noah shares these tales with us. I'll leave his last name out because he references some illegal immigrants. I don't want to risk it in trouble. Noah writes, hey, Dan. Okay, well, for starters, I'm third-generation Mexican-American. My mother's parents are from Chihuahua, Chihuahua, Mexico. My fa- uh, grandfather first decided to come across uh, during the Bracero program. I'm glad I know about that program now. The program started during World War II because the U.S. didn't have enough domestic labor to work the fields. Yep. Anyways, my grandfather worked in the U.S. through this program starting in 1947 when he was 18 until he was in his late 20s. I remember him telling us that he and other workers would sleep in the drainage ditches. They were perpendicular to the fields, ditches where they were moist and full of human feces because there was there were also the restroom during the workday. Man, fucking sleeping in shit. Goddamn. Uh, they had to sleep there because it was first come, first got to work for the next day in the field. They'd sleep in the ditches uh, until the whole field was picked, which could be three or four days, and then they'd move on to the next field. This continued on until it wasn't picking season anymore. Then he would go back to Mexico for a couple months and repeat this process. He immigrated to the U.S. in 1956 with his wife, two daughters who were younger than four, and an infant son. The only reason he got to immigrate was because his employer, during his later years of working in the fields, liked him and vouched for him and his family. My my grandma, or mommy, as we called her, and grandpa, or as we called him, Poppy, uh, became citizens of the U.S. in 1998, uh, where eight-month-old me, uh, a young man, eight-month-old in fucking 98, Jesus Christ, uh, my mom accompanied them. Poppy passed away in 2014, but my grandma's still kicking full of spit and vinegar. Ah, mommy, still kicking it. She's, uh, remember when I said kick it? Let's see. Uh, she stays the night once a week uh, with my, uh, once or twice a week with my parents. My grandparents laid the roots down for their five sons and four daughters, the last child of nine being my mom. 
uh, Matias and Tias, uh, gave them about 35 grandchildren and many more great and great, great grandchildren. Wow. One of my dad's employees is 35 and has four brothers in the U.S. and six more siblings in Mexico. Uh, he first came across uh, in 1992 with the green card to pick fruit in Northern California, Washington, and Oregon. He would work during the picking season, go back to Mexico when there was no longer fruit to be picked. He realized he couldn't do this anymore as he had kids and a wife to feed, so he took up construction as his uncle had a construction company. During this time, he, he, it, was, it was the off season, so his green card was no longer valid. He kept working even though it was expired, and somehow he and his two uh, brothers got deported, or two of his brothers. Now, when someone is deported, they have to sign a document saying they will never try to come back in the U.S. So he and his two brothers signed the document, went back to Mexico, and immediately tried coming back because they had no work in Mexico. They came back during the winter through New Mexico. He said it was so cold his feet were numb through his boots. He came back and started employment with my dad. He's still there today. He said if he doesn't get deported, he'll never leave because his whole family lives here. He pays taxes. His kids go to public school. He works harder than many people born in the U.S., but just because he wanted to work to help his family, he had to become illegal. Uh, I know he broke the law, but everything is in black and white, and every day he fears he will be deported. And, uh, and then he says, stay, stay drunk. No. <laughs> wow, no. Wow, no. Thank you for those stories, man. God damn, man. I take for granted being able to live and work in this country. I bet a lot of other time suckers do too. So easy to forget how hard others have to work for what many of us are just given by birth. The opportunity to provide a good life for yourself and your family. You sound like you have a wonderful close-knit family, man. That is beautiful, Noah. Okay, a couple more perspectives and we're out. Uh, this uh, I recently reached out to time sucker Angela Bernson Agu- uh, Aguilar, first person to ask me to do this topic, uh, if I remember correctly. She and her fiancé and another, another time sucker had uh, their life turned upside down by immigration policies. Angela wrote, Hail Nimrod, most gracious suck master general. Uh, and then in response to my question about how are things going with you guys, she said, yes, he's my husband now. We got married in May. Uh, Carlos's family started the immigration process from El Salvador as soon as his aunt got her citizenship. Uh, since she was now a citizen, she could sponsor them. She got hers because she married an American. He was five when the process started. He doesn't remember all the details uh, his parents had to go through. He does remember as it came closer to time to immigrate, immigrate, had to go to the police station, have different background checks done, had to go to the doctor, get visually inspected by the doctor. Uh, the, you know, uh, the, the doctor who did uh, the inspection was a, uh, Carlos's dad's colleague. Uh, the only reason that that doctor was able to test was because he was an American citizen. Overall, the entire process took over 12 years. And he'd already graduated from high school before they were able to actually move here. Apparently, that is a relatively short amount of time for Central Americans. Uh, A few years ago, after being in the United States for almost 10 years, he applied for a citizenship, downloaded the form. It's like 50 pages, completed everything, mailed it off. After a few months, received a response in the mail that he would have to recomplete the forms because one page was wrong and out of date, even though he downloaded the forms off their website. (laughs) They proceeded. This sounds like my interactions with the fucking government. Man, I wanted to bomb DMV places after dealing with the DMV for the bunch of shit of my own fault with my DOI uh, several years ago. But then when I got thrown into the system, oh man, if you've never been thrown into the system, it is such a fucking red tape nightmare where it's like, all right, I got we got to have some policies, but it is made by just bullshit bureaucracy so ridiculously difficult sometimes that I get why people go fucking postal. Uh, he said, uh, he had, to, he had to complete the form again, mail it back anyway. The application cost like, like 700 bucks. About a year ago, he had to go to the immigration center for his biometrics, had to take a day off work. Uh, then because he's been waiting so long, uh, had to interview again for a citizenship test. His green card expired. He had to go to the consulate, get a special stamp and his passport that says he's still legal, uh, even though his green card has expired because he waited so long for the final portion. It's been almost three years since he started the process. Last week, he got the letter in the mail that told him his interview time for the interview. Uh, for his citizenship test. Yay. Although we don't know 
If that is also the day that he gets to do his oath or not, it's a step closer to that goal. Crazy enough, his story is not as bad as some of of his best friend's stories. If you'll indulge me, I'll tell you another that is happening right now as well. One of his best friends from college came to the U.S. to go to school at Texas Tech, studies MIS at the business school, got a job at National Instruments in Austin right out of school. They were even paying for an immigration lawyer to help him get his H-1B visa. He needed an immigration lawyer to complete all the paperwork. Three times National Instruments applied for it and paid for him to get the H-1B visa. Unfortunately, he never got it. He might have, but he was applying right as Trump severely cut the amount of H-1B visas that the U.S. would grant. His wife also came to the U.S. on a student visa. However, once they got married, she was legally not allowed to work. She had to get odd uh, jobs to help her, you know, fill her time. A person has two years after graduating from school to either leave or get the H-1B visa. Since he didn't get his, the company had to move them to Costa Rica in January. They have to stay there for at least two years before they try to come back into the U.S. with national instruments. They moved in January, had their first baby in December. I know this is long. Hope it adds a little uh, to the amazing work I know you're going to do with this challenging topic. Knowledge in slash and Nimrod, Angela. Wow, thank you, Angela. Thanks for illuminating all that red tape bullshit. That's the stuff that drives me fucking crazy. There's no way this process should be so complicated, and why can't people be grandfathered in? You know, it's like, again, it goes back to this fucking political rhetoric I hate, where to appease your base, you're like, well, now we're done with this shit. And it's like, yeah, you just fucked over so many people's lives that were doing things the legal way. When you, ah, makes me so angry. Someone's not a threat. Why make the process so fucking difficult and confusing? All right. But as our last time sucker example shows in the updates today, not everyone should get in. Right? There is some dangers. This is from Space Lizard Cody Smiley. Cody says, all hail the glorious glorious master that suck. It is I, your faithful Space Lizard Cody Smiley. Thank you, man. I have some unique perspectives on the immigration issue. I want to preface my thoughts by saying that I have no problems with immigration. I'm even sympathetic to illegal immigration. Um, Like it or not, we're all descendants of immigrants, and there's nothing wrong with that. My dad quit his job at a refinery in about 1992 and leased a 6,600-acre ranch out of Laredo, Texas, uh, around five miles of Rio Grande. Grande. I do say thanks for for putting him. Oh, or Rio Grande. Ah, thanks for putting pronunciation options for me, uh, Cody. It's got five miles of Rio, uh, Rio Grande. Rio Grande. I see. Rio Grande or Rio Grande River frontage. Uh, we are one of the most active ranches in the entire state. I love how you guys, when you send messages, by the way, that you know that I'm uh, absolutely mentally incompetent when it comes to pronunciation. And you just like spell it out for me with like, you'll put like, it rhymes like this, as if you as if you were um, writing a small child who had just learned to write. And I, yeah, I don't have that part of the brain. So it's very helpful. We are one of the most active ranches in the entire state for illegal border crossings. On numerous occasions, we would have uh, paying hunters encounter immigrants from Mexico hiding out in our deer blinds or crossing the road in front of them while they sat in their deer stands. Yeah, that'd be uh, irritating. Most of the encounters were nothing too scary. Um, uh, just people crossing with their families. We would leave tens of gallons of water and lots of non-perishable foods at our main campsite for them to take with them. As the scrub brush country down there is brutally hot and devoid of water. The real issue we had, though, was drug smugglers and bandits. Most of them carried absolutely nothing with them, and that was the main distinction between them and the other two groups. The drug smugglers especially always wore a backpack and always carried guns from just a pistol to fully automatic weapons. In one scary event, a hunter uh, put up in a, in a deer blind right along the river sitting in his blind with a group of about 20 men all dressed in black and wearing masks, carrying large backpacks and M16s crossed in front of them or in front of him. Fuck. One of the men was only about 30 feet from him. He turned up and looked right at the hunter in the blind, just kept on walking. Oh, did I piss myself? I personally saw a group of six or seven men cross near me while I was carrying uh, uh, backpacks. I radioed my dad. He called the direct line to the head of the Border Patrol in Laredo. And in two minutes, there was a helicopter over my stand looking for them. The drug runners even got uh, some hired help we had down there. We hired an illegal immigrant 
to stay at the ranch and tend to it while we were away at our other ranches. My dad got a phone call one day saying the Border Patrol had to arrest him because he was hauling drugs in our water trailer. What happened was the cartel came and paid him a visit and told him if he didn't haul those drugs, they're going to kill his fucking family. My dad testified at his hearing, told the court how scary it was out there, and they dropped the charges against him. The bandits were another thing altogether. They had a camp right across the river from us. We could see them. They could see us. More importantly, they couldn't see when we weren't there. Dad wanted to put direct TV out there so the hunters could watch TV during the downtime. That lasted up until we made a trip to Laredo for groceries. Uh, another time, uh, Dad came in and they had stolen all of the ceiling fans from the trailer on the porch. Built. Okay, so they took the TVs and they took this stuff. Another time, Dad was pulling up into camp at night. Uh, when he looked at the trailer with the truck's headlights, everything seemed okay. The lights were off. The doors were closed. We had an office building to the right of the trailer we stayed in. He got out of the truck, unloaded some things to the office building, and when he came back out the door, the trailer was wide open. The next morning, he checked and saw their footprints in camp leading down to the river. The biggest theft we had uh, happened with a huge storage pod. We finally gotten tired of being ripped off with these guys, so we rented a steel storage pod to store literally everything in it when we left. Dad would get tips from hunters in the form of Crown Royal whiskey by the gallon, so he would store it in there. Along with that, he had some bow hunting equipment, fishing equipment, all in all about $30,000 worth of stuff. One time when we were gone to Brackettville, our larger 10,000-acre ranch, hunting Blackbuck, they found a railroad spike, drove it into the side of the pod, used the hanging rack with the winch to get a hole open a little bit more. Once they got inside, they, uh, they found, out elect- uh, found an electric truck winch rated for 20,000 pounds and used that to finish the job, and they stole everything out of this. Uh, it was so scary down there that during the off-season when hunters weren't there, we would sleep during the day in shifts and stay up all night. Uh, I really don't have an answer for how to fix immigration, but I think if we help Mexico, it might help out with their economy uh, and, and bring more people out of poverty. Uh, maybe that will help. I'm sorry this went on long, but I needed to get my stories out to you and to people who may not know how scary things are right now in certain portions of the border. It's so bad, in fact, that as of now, the Border Patrol won't even set foot on our old ranch anymore. Hail Nimrod, be gone, Lucifina, Cody. Wow. Well, thank you, Cody. Man, what a great point you bring up at the end. What if we worked more closely with Mexico to help strengthen their economy so that our citizens uh, didn't want to leave. I don't know how feasible that is. I know that doesn't take care of the drug cartel situation, uh, but we have drug you know, gangs in our country already. But have we really ever truly explored that option? H- having our southern neighbor be a strong, stable, economically powerful ally, that would be in our best interest, man. People, you know, uh, we, we, you want the countries next to you to be, you know, strong allies, str- you know, healthy allies. Uh, yeah, just another interesting perspective. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to share your stories. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. We all did. Truly. Okay, uh, wrapping up here. Uh, you know, I didn't really dive into the detention center controversy and current protests, etc. Uh, that was intentional. I-, I like to focus primarily on the underlying issues more than the visible symptoms. Uh, if we can, if we can wrap our heads around immigration, come up with some some better policies. You know, a lot of the stuff we're dealing with currently and politically, I think, will just kind of kind of go away. Uh, to me, it feels like we just need to come up with a with a hell of a lot better solution than just kick them the fuck out. Uh, that to me is super ignorant, knee jerk reaction to political rhetoric. Also ignorant and naive to say, oh, just let them all in, let them all in, and just they can pour in however they want. Um, I think after absorbing all of this for weeks, we need to prioritize a legalization process for people who've already made it into this country. Form families who are following the law, uh, you know, at, at the very least following like the major laws, uh, you know, should they be penalized for sneaking in? Yeah, I, I do think so. I think they should. Uh, fines, back taxes, garnish wages to get those taxes uh, if necessary to, to cover those fines. You know, you, you should be punished for entering illegally because it's not fair to those who have entered legally. 
Uh, from what I've learned, mass deportation will not have a good effect on the economy. It will not lower national crime rates, so why do it? Reagan allowed millions uh, of illegals to earn citizenship, and uh, you know, and that was when national anti-immigration uh, feelings were, were, were much higher than they are now, according to recent polling. Should we build a wall? Uh, fuck no. It's a massive waste of taxpayer money uh, from everything I've seen. Everything I've seen is like, uh, yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I mean, politically, I am against constant government spending. The wall uh, just doesn't seem to be a favored solution by actual ICE and Border Patrol agents, many of whom uh, listen to this show. And you know what? I trust the boots on the ground uh, a lot more than fucking uh, political rhetoric. Uh, I hope we always have an immigration problem. Uh, That's one thing to kind of maybe feel good about this thing just in general. It's great that we have this problem. Uh, Why? Because it means our country is fucking awesome. Uh, you know, if, if we didn't have a, a lot of people trying to bust in here, you know, that would mean that we're no longer that much better than the places people are trying to bust out of. Also, uh, you know, if we're going to require all this damn paperwork necessary to, to get in, maybe we should take some of the money that was going to uh, go to building a wall and actually use that money to create more jobs, more American jobs for people to, uh, to process the paperwork. So, you know, people who are going to be awesome citizens can get in here uh, a lot faster. And I'm about done now. Uh, my goal was not to say, here's exactly what we need to do. I'm not arrogant enough to think that I can solve this problem in a few weeks' worth of research. Uh, you know, form your own opinions and, and, and inform them knowing, hopefully, you know, a little more than you did before you listened to this suck. And, and, and finally, if you're, if you're just mostly worried about change, it's natural to feel that way. Uh, if you're worried about, you know, your, your neighborhood just not, not being the same that you remember it. You know, this kind of good old days mentality. It's going to be different now thanks to immigrants. I get it, but... But you got to realize change is inevitable. Our melting pot society has always changed. It's always in the process of constant evolution. That is part of what makes us great. So stop fighting it as best you can. Embrace it. Bring some fucking cookies over to your new Mexican or Middle Eastern neighbors. Get to know them. And then if you find out they're assholes, yeah, then fuck them. Hate them. Talk shit about them. Just like you do with a regular asshole neighbor. All right. That's all. Time for some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, the United States is a nation of immigrants. Never forget that when it comes to immigration. Number two, contrary to popular opinion, national violent crime rates do not seem to increase with increases in immigration. Don't believe the hype. Number three, legal immigration does have a negative effect on wages and job availability for our nation's most vulnerable employees, low-skilled, poorly educated workers, many of whom are already in deep poverty, borderline homelessness. Uh, We need not only to focus on illegal immigration, we need to focus on businesses hurting the workforce by hiring illegal immigrants and driving down down wages. Uh, Number four, fucking spiders. Did you forget about the, the Roanoke Brown recluse? You probably did. They swarm on your face. They work together in teams to crawl onto your eyeball. Number five, new info, brand new study released the day of this recording finds that deporting illegal immigrants may ironically lead to more illegal immigration. I thought this was very interesting. Deportations return criminals to their home countries. Okay, we know that. In some cases, those deported criminals help develop and extend criminal networks used to traffic drugs, weapons, and people. This, in turn, increases the frequency of violent crime in those countries, which then sends more people fleeing out of those countries and migrating to the United States. The vast majority of unauthorized migrants and asylum seekers arriving at the U.S. border are escaping widespread violence. Crazy, right? 
that deporting more people back to their countries and increasing violence just kicks more legal immigrants back to this country. Just one more thing to consider when considering immigration policy. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Immigration sucked. Wow. Holy shit. What a monster of a suck. Uh, Please share this episode. Spread this suck. I think the more people we get thinking about this issue, the faster someone a lot smarter than I am, uh, you know, is going to help figure out a solution. Knowledge. Spread it. Love it. Rub your balls on it. Don't be afraid to discuss anything. Rub your vagina on it. I don't want to exclude people who don't have balls. Uh, big thanks to the Time Suck team, High Priestess of the Suck, Harmony Vela Camp, Jesse Guardian of Grammar Dobner, Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley, Time Suck High Priest Alex Dugan, the Bit Elixir team, Danger Brain, Space Lizard, Immersed Distributor, Axis Apparel, Queen of the Suck, and Boss of Damn Near Everything, Lindsay Cummins. Next week, a Space Lizard voted in topic. January 22nd, 1997, Robert Bud Dwyer, Pennsylvania State Treasurer, uh, pulled out a 357 Magnum revolver during a televised press conference in front of a room full of por- reporters, put the gun in his mouth, and blew his brains out. His suicide was broadcast to thousands in Pennsylvania. Why did a 47-year-old career politician and married father of two do that? Scandal. Scandal is why. A scandal that led to this intensely dramatic end. It's going to be a nice change of pace episode. What led to Bud making this decision? You know, why did he do it where he did it? Why the day he did it? All revealed next Monday. And and that is all for today, time suckers. Uh, sorry, uh, Swedish listeners. Uh, for all of you, including Swedish listeners, uh, take a page from Mr. Rogers this week and be nice to your nice neighbors. And keep on sucking. <laughs> Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out, sleep, read a book, play Fortnite, call your mom, take judo lessons, finally watch all the episodes of Shameless. A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But... What you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash time suck.